This week on Auto Catch-Up Episode 2, we talk about the changes to Honda's business model and reduction to only 11 dealers Australia-wide. We talk about the Genesis GV80 SUV that's meant to be arriving in July, as well as the addition of the Dodge Ram 1500 to the New South Wales police fleet. There's also a whole heap of motorsport news and more, so stay tuned and enjoy the episode. And welcome to the latest episode of Auto Catch Up, uh, where we talk about everything about Australian car news, international, and even motorsport. Again, this week we've got uh, Joel Strickland, a Joel Strick photo, and Mick McWilliams from Low Flight Tech. Uh, welcome, guys. Hey, buddy. G'day, gents. How are you going? Good, good. So, look, there's been plenty of things going on in the world this time. Last week we talked about all of the. Uh, impacts of COVID-19 coronavirus and we're seeing more and more of those impacts how has it how has it changed things for you what's been happening for you guys this week Joel uh not a lot it's been quite it's been quite quiet I've literally been uh I've been self-isolating and um staying at home literally just working in the office uh here in my um in my home office just trying to stay away from everything working on a couple of business ideas and projects with some with some clients so hopefully some exciting stuff coming in the next couple of weeks um but yeah it's it's really weird it's you know it's 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 hard at the moment the weather is so good you know because it is coming out of the end of summer into autumn it it's Mm -hmm. weird to think i mean if this had happened in winter i think i don't think we'd have half the problem with people trying to social distance because everyone would be happy to stay inside where it's cold and miserable but the weather's you know the weather's nice and the sun's out and it's really hard to to stay inside and and to to stay you know stay away but yeah that's what we've been trying to do this week um my wife's working from from home as well um and yeah we're just trying to stay out of it so just basically been um watching what's been happening in the news ready to talk about on the podcast mm. and there's certainly plenty of uh news to talk about what about you mick what if uh, i see you've been a bit busy with a couple of vehicles still uh, yeah, I just uh, wrapped up my time with the uh, with the cash guys. Um, oddly, came out with preferring the the lower spec N Sport to the to the TI. Uh, just a bit mm-hmm. comfier in the seats department. I actually fit a little bit better. The I think the TI seats are a little bit higher. The, the full leather ones um, don't give me quite a quite enough room. So I'm sort of rubbing my knees under the dash every time I jump in and when I sit in it. So not quite as comfortable. But um, on Friday, I picked up the Granvia, so uh, legroom is no longer a problem for me. Um, <laughs> I could actually pick up two so hitchhikers. So that's the eight-seat yep. people mover, isn't it, from Toyota? Yeah. Yeah. It's big enough for me to pick up two hitchhikers and still maintain social distancing. It's um, <laughs> stick them in the fourth row, one in the second row, and me in the front. And it's, uh, yeah, it's quite a substantial vehicle. I thought it was a um, like a Kia Carnival-type competitor but it's uh, yeah, much bigger than that much bigger um definitely suitable for a for a whole basketball team that sort of size vehicle in fact it's one where it's got a wow. step in it and i need to use it um so yeah that's a, it's a bit of a novelty for me uh, as far as being busy though um i actually in my other job i've uh, i've got a team that i supervise and everyone's moved to to working from home so a lot of changes there um trying to get some processes in place about how you actually organize a team when everybody's at home um so there's a few challenges there so i've still got a f- i'm still fairly busy um but yeah there's uh definitely a lot of people that are 
um, you know, taking a pretty big impact from all the all the social distancing requirements and and keeping out of the way of each other. Um, yeah, definitely some challenges there. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, look, I'm pretty thankful that we're still allowed to, to at least drive. Uh, with yeah, even though we're finding more and more things closing, I think uh, a lot of people that I know who are car people are really thankful that at least if you want some uh, space from people and family that you've got at home you can still go for a drive and at least even if you're not hopping out or going anywhere you can still take a drive and uh you know disconnect a little bit per se but this week uh i've been driving the bmw x1 the x drive 25i right and coming out of the pathfinder which is a big soft uh suv it was quite a stark difference moving to something i forgot how hard BMW sports seats really are. It felt like sitting on wooden boards at the start. Now that I'm a few, you know, about five days in, it feels a lot more comfortable to be sitting in a. And once you get used to it, but definitely at the beginning, it was a very, very stark contrast going from soft leather seats to a very hard uh, sports seats. But the even though there's a few things missing, there's a few bits of tech that I would probably expect. Um, that you would have found in the in the Qashqai, whether it's the N Sport or the the Ti, that is still missing from from the BMW, which is a little bit of a letdown. It is the top end, you know, the top of the range X1, and they are asking sixty three, you know, sixty two nine ninety for it. Uh, but right. overall, the performance is really really great. Once you put your foot down, it just loves to go, and I love having a car which still has an organ style pedal. It makes such a big difference, and and you can't. You, sometimes you can be a bit more lazy with your foot as well. Um, that you've got a much larger, much larger uh, pedal to play with. Yeah, right. But overall, it's been it's been really nice. It's uh, doesn't quite have the ground clearance that I thought X ones did have over a, a normal sedan. I still um, almost bottom out exiting a driveway. I was going to say, how many times did you scrape? Yeah, so it, on the first day, it was a couple of times. Yep. It, BMW, don't worry if you're listening. It's just a couple of small things <laughs> nobody will ever see. Um, <laughs> but overall, like I've really enjoyed it. The fuel economy is uh, still... I need to do some more driving. That's been the really hard thing is finding opportunities because you can't just go out to a cafe or, or anything like that. You, you really do have to actually have a purpose to, to go out and have a drive at the moment. Yeah. But fuel economy has been pretty good. The, it was quite it was nice to see a, a car have 820 kilometers worth of range uh, from a full tank. That's pretty it's good. Nice it's a petrol or So it's a petrol. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. So And, and when you... And the one thing which I do have to applaud BMW for for sticking to in this newer era of BMWs is having the different driving modes. So you do have your Sport, Comfort, and Eco Pro. They have refined, from what I can tell, um, in this generation of X1. It used to be that you have, in, in Sport vehicles, you'd have Sport Plus, Sport, Comfort, Eco, and then Eco Pro. But in this x1 you've just got sport comfort and eco pro um making a little bit more 
easier to understand, I think, for most people who are probably driving a car like that. Not everyone was going to go, oh, look, I'm going to go hit up a track in my X1. Better have that Sport Plus mode that partially disables the traction control or anything like that. That's, you know, so it makes sense no, that they've done that if, in that and car. And if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to be economically responsible, why not be all the way economically responsible, not just, eh, you know, a little bit eco. Let's go to Eco Plus. You know what's yeah, uh, exactly. Not much point having a, a difference there. No, so that's that's really it's been really good. Um, most of the time, I've I've either kept it in comfort or or sport. Sport is one of those ones where it does remind you that yeah, this is the top of the range model. The bigger engine and the all-wheel drive definitely comes into play there. It's got some great get up and go it sounds a little bit tingy like it does sound it, it doesn't have as much it doesn't sound like it have gut it has guts um but it definitely gets up and goes like anything um so yeah it's it's been a good drive so far um but i am just keeping an eye on the news because i wouldn't mind holding it on to it for a little bit longer so if we do get a lockdown at that I'd, I'd be happy to just keep it on the <laughs> nice driveway. car to be locked down with <laughs> that's for sure yeah that's it. Yeah, I well, wouldn't be complaining uh, with that. Well, I've got uh, three kids homeschooling now, so I'm quite happy to get in lockdown with the Granby or I can just move my office to the bus. So, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Aircon, stereo, I don't think I need anything else. I'll be pretty happy. Um, just no. on the... Uh, what was I going to say about the BMW? Uh, so, uh, front-wheel drive based with all-wheel drive. Um, how do you get... How do you feel about the all-wheel drive system and actually getting it to kick in with traction. Like I usually, when I'm driving SUVs, there's a gravel road locally that's got some nice long open corners where I've got a lot of visibility so I can see everybody coming and it's quite safe, but I can work out how you've got to go a little bit too hard into the corner, tap the brakes a little to get the Mm -hmm. front to tuck in and then give it a little bit too much throttle before you can get the, the rear half of the drivetrain to actually kick in, like sense that there's some slip. You've kind of got to trick it yeah, and force, force it to, to kick in. Well, BMW have been doing X-Drive, so they're all drive system for a very long time now. At mm. least I know um, even early E30, uh, 3 Series BMWs had X-Drive at some, you know, at some formal level because of the yeah. European winters and snow. So they've been doing it for a really long, long time. And during that, especially those eras, the 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s, BMW was still heavily invested in that sheer driving pleasure, ultimate driving machine uh, mindset. It wasn't so much yeah. about economy and and that kind of thing. So I think that development of their X-Drive and all-wheel drive system has still carried through to today. Um, even when pushing the X1 around a corner and everything like that, where I am asking a little bit um, of the car dynamics itself, it yeah. doesn't feel like it's wanting to just forget everything about what makes a good car a good driving car i think it does a very good job of balancing and and where it sends that power so i haven't found that i haven't taken it on a gravel road mind you yeah um but we have had a little bit of rain lately and even when driving it through those situations and even you know going through a little bit tighter in in a in a roundabout um i've been pretty happy with it so far and particularly for a car like that and where i think most people are going to be using it i think I'd, I'd definitely much prefer the X Drive yep. over the two wheel drive model. That that's definitely, I think, for the X One makes a lot more sense 
in general, um, particularly because a front-wheel drive, I st- I'm still not convinced that a front-wheel drive BMW really is the right move uh, yep. because there is so many other ways to get fuel economy and to, to make a better driving car without needing to go to front-wheel drive, even though there are certainly some benefits to be picked up from that. Uh, but I think for the X1, definitely the X drive is the the way to go. With that, it performs really, really well. Fuel economy isn't um, hugely negatively impacted either. And um, it gets you that little bit more grip as well when you want to mash the accelerator and you know accelerate onto the highway or something like that. Yeah, sure. I think it's an easy an easy choice really these days to go for something like X Drive in a lot of those models. I mean, Audi have been doing Quattro for so long. Um, yeah, people are, are kind of used to it in that respect. Um, you know, Quattro has always been that thing for Audi, and so seeing more and more of the BMW models going into X Drive, I think it's great. I think you know, having driven a couple of them now, I, I think and having owned. Uh, an all-wheel drive vehicle not necessarily an suv but a sedan i loved having that security of having that all-wheel drive um Mm -hmm. over just you know even when it's wet or whatever you know watching um talking you know the guys uh in one of the car groups that i'm in on facebook talk a lot about you know they've got suvs and it's two wheel or switch to all wheel and they generally leave it switched in all wheel just because of weather and stuff like that that just mm. is the safety for so many people now you know out on the road and the conditions can change pretty quickly i just think all wheel drive is is a, is a must-have and i think the more that the brands can do to make it affordable and, and easy for someone to go, yeah, I'll take the, the all-wheel drive version. I think it's uh, it's it's a good thing. Yeah, I put, mm. I, I put it well, on with, like the, the, oh, sorry, the, with the Pathfinder. Same thing. I put the mm-hmm. um, the four-wheel drive lock on for for the Pathfinder because I found that the amount of torque in the V6 can get your front tyres spinning pretty easily, particularly if you're going around a corner or low traction environments mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. So just having that, the lock, it's not really a lock, it's still a clutch, but... Um, have, splitting some of the power to the rear axle saves your front tyres and it just makes it a much more balanced drive um, maybe people don't throw Pathfinders around as much as I did but um, it was um, yeah much much better manners I think when you've got the, the rear axle taking a bit of the power as well particularly in those larger tall it, applications in those larger SUVs like what you said I, I think they all all two wheel variants of those are guilty of having oh, yep. a ton of power and a ton of torque, but just pull, don't know how to put that to the ground of the front wheels. It's Even if it's not wet, it's very easy to, to get those front wheels to spin Absolutely. Um, when you're taking it from a standstill. And for a lot of people who are driving those are probably not experienced in that. And it's probably not the best driving experience either. Um, so that's why having the all-wheel drive option there is always preferred, even though obviously cost is a factor for a lot of people so going to a two-wheel drive option is going to give them the size and the comfort features that they would find in an all-wheel drive anyway um but you know at a lower price point yeah but it's definitely one of those things for a lot of people where i think that in those large suvs the two-wheel drive option is is purely there just to meet a price point but not necessarily is the best for the overall driving experience for that car yeah, for sure, and he definitely saw that in the um, in the Captivas when they were were being sold. Everyone was buying the cheapest yes. possible thing they could with a with that extra third row, 
um, and they were definitely mm-hmm. fairly low spec vehicles. Um, pretty pretty basic interiors, um, very basic seats, um, but they were flying out the lots at the end after they'd sort of yeah. um, been running around for sort of ten years, and they struggled on for another three. Um, un- unbelievable mm-hmm. longevity out of a platform, but um, it was definitely old by the time it got out the door. There was still a lot of people looking for that for that budget choice, though. Absolutely. And it fitted into that yeah. budget choice. You know, it was, for what it was and what it provided, so many people bought them and, and, you know, they did well. I had one as a press car a while back and I actually really liked it. You know, I thought it was quite good, capable for what it was and value for money. I mean, the fact now that there's so much more in that market, you know, kind of they were probably lucky that they did as well as they did in that time, but now that, that segment is super flooded. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, General Motors really... General Motors really, and Holden, I guess we should say specifically, really had a knack of being early to the market for a lot of those things, weren't they? We had um, like even the first generation cruise, the not the not the sedan, but the actual small. Yeah, this is SUV. a huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the the cruise, then that was reintroduced as the the Holden cruise that most people would know is the the compact sedan. And hatch, but then we also yeah you had the and wagon. Activa, you had the Holden Vault, um, the the Barina RS and the Barina Sp- Barina Spark. So they covered off a lot of different from from budget models to family orientated SUVs. They're actually quite early, but they never seem to just be able to follow through with that. Um, and unfortunately, that's where all the other brands in came in and then cannibalized the sales and took them away. But they actually had, for some point, had a, a fairly good ability to predict where the market was going to be, just perhaps a little bit too early to that to be able to have that longevity and, and create, you know, the the dominance in that in those particular market segments. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, I think. Well, I'm not. Sh- I'm not convinced that uh, Holden customers are necessarily uh, early adopters, which is probably half the problem. Um, yeah, you know a lot of their customers are, are um, traditional product cost customers, or I should I should say in the in the past tense. Um, but yeah, obviously their their main product was a vehicle. It was the a well honed um, design and set of features that have been going for sort of fifty years. So um, mm-hmm. even the the Volt I found. A lot of people were interested in the Vault, but the people that were interested in the Vault when I was driving it were not Holden customers. They were just other people would like walk up to you when you're driving it around, you know, walk up to you in car parks and Mm -hmm. want to find out about it. Um, And then when they found out about the price, which is 60,000, they go, oh, that's a lot for a Holden. Even though let's look at the the cost of other plug-in hybrids and other hybrid vehicles, they're still really only hitting that price point or, or just starting now to to beat that price point for similarly sized vehicles, That's um, right. even with similar types of range. Yet that had, at that point in time, it, it actually had, uh, what was it? Lane departure warning, forward collision warning, both yep. sound system. Uh, it was a, a more mature, I would say, a, a better take than... Toyota for the hybrid as a plug-in hybrid where it had you had that 70 kilometers of of electric range and then you had the combustion engine to extend that range um, and it was great you. fuel economy for it as well yeah and it, and it was, was such excellent. a good car to drive 
And they even built in, they knew that how far people were going were going to be traveling every single day and they built into the system that it would automatically start to use fuel after three months so the fuel wouldn't, in the car wouldn't go bad. So it also managed the fuel life and fuel quality itself to ensure that by the time that you actually did need to use fuel, it wasn't going to wreck the engine or just you know fill your car up with bad fuel. So it was actually very, very clever for what it was and it was super silent. It was, it, I think Matt Farrow from the Smoking Tire said in uh, you know at that particular point in time that it was just as quiet or even quieter than a rolls royce which was yeah. huge he loved and, it and he but it was absolutely his, true he had his for years and he used to yeah. talk so strongly about it yeah. but the thing was is i think the australia just wasn't ready for it in terms no. of the having to have it set up for for plugging in you know mm-hmm. if it was something that they were bringing in now like if they were bringing in the the, I would have been interested to see if they had gone down that path, but bringing in the Bolt now, yes. uh, yep, yep. I would be interested to see what that would do for the market. You know, I mean, sure, it it probably would be more expensive than a comparable, you know, SUV in that same sort of size, but an electric one. You know, I've got to got to give GM credit; their product placement on Hawaii Five O is is quite good, and and they've had that <laughs> Bolt sitting around. But they don't. It's not. It's not promoted that it's electric. You know, if you're a car guy, you know that it's that that it's the Bolt mm-hmm. and that it's that it's electric. But yeah. you know, you see more of the Camaro and the Silverado and stuff like that in on mm-hmm. the show. But you know, when they had that on there, I, I'm really intrigued to see what it would have done. At this, at the point when you know Tesla was starting to come in, and that that whole market, maybe I don't know, twelve months ago, it would have been interesting yeah. to see what it would have done in the market and whether Holden would have picked up and had a better run on it um, than what they had with the Volt. I still see one driving around my neighbourhood all the time, so it's surprising that uh, uh, you know that I've seen a couple around, but there's one that's in my neighbourhood that I do see on quite a few occasions. Yeah, it's kind of ironic. Well, let's um. It's, I'll just get to say it's kind of ironic that um, you know those products that Holden bought in where they were you know sort of a, ahead of the market a bit are exactly the type of products that they needed to broaden their appeal, but um, mm-hmm. you know never got the the broadened appeal. So at the at the end of the day, again they were stuck with those traditional customers, kind of limiting what they could actually justify to bring in the country as well. You know they had a few Absolutely. a few bites of the cherry and bought a few. Uh, more different products in, and they didn't they didn't jump off. So, you know, it's it's a bit hard to, um, I guess, hold all the blame against the local management when they took a few a, two, a few swings, and you know there was no real success there. So, um, I think mm-hmm. anybody would have been hesitant at committing towards providing some sort of supply. You know, investing the the effort required to supply the the right hand drive market, or or us specifically. Uh, particularly mm-hmm. with a with a history and a record of um, swings and misses. Absolutely. Well, even moving on to other local news, so this could strictly be uh, classified as not really local news, but uh, Joel, you seem to have stumbled across just earlier today um, a Cadillac Mule. Um, could this potentially... Do you want to describe what you saw, but uh, could this be one of the last uh, vehicles that the local... Holden General Motors development team help the overseas counterpart with fine-tuning development, or is it something else, do you think? 
Well, it's hard to say. I mean, we've been seeing Cadillac mules on the road for years, and, and every time, you know, Holden's uh, proving ground is not is you know south of Melbourne, down in a place called Lang Lang, which is on the way to Phillip Island. So every time I was heading, to, would head to Phillip Island, I would generally see one or two of them on the road. But you know, I've been watching them and keeping an eye for them for years because I love the Cadillacs. As we were talking offline earlier today, you know, they're such an awesome car. My drive with the mm-hmm. XTS across America is still one of my favourite things to talk about as a car guy, just because you know I love these big things, and I've always been a Cadillac Cadillac guy. So I've always been keeping an eye out for them, always trying to see them whenever. And generally, they have this same look. They're either a they're on a they're a grey and white camouflage, um, so you can generally spot them from a distance. So just running around today, just doing a couple of quick errands, getting out of the house to get some things done. Uh, I was driving in a street not far from my place, and I drove around the corner and. I think it was the red wheels that I saw first. Yeah, this black very subtle, is it? So one, what, no, one, the fact that it's black um, and it had these red painted wheels. So it's obviously, instantly I knew that it was a development mule and you drive past it. It's got no front badge on it. There's no badges on the rear. It did have the um, evaluation vehicle sticker on the back. Normally it's on the bumper, but it was actually in the glass. So mm-hmm. it was a little bit harder to, to see that. Um, I jumped out, had a quick look inside. It looks like a fairly finished interior, but there was the typical engineering mule, um, massive um, all stop power stop button, button. Yep. on the yeah on the on the on the stop on the dash, and that's generally found in in an engineering mule that is designed that they're obviously testing electronics and stuff like that that if they need to if there's a problem it's designed to kill everything in in one fell swoop um i know that some guys were recently talking about it in um cadillacs you know some of the new the the current gen cadillac the early mules had them as well so that's kind of the other thing you kind of notice on the dash of this thing um Mm. but it was otherwise fairly finished but it was the first time i've seen one in this this finish normally the last couple of ones that i've seen have been either like a silver or a red paint with just evaluation vehicle on it generally the sort of center caps and stuff are missing of them because they're obviously taking wheels and stuff off to to evaluate but normally it's um something you see out on the road but yeah this kind of really surprised me to see it today um sort of out and about but yeah i think you're right ash this is probably one of the last it all depends what happens with lang lang so you know if holden there's talk that other people might buy it. Um, there's talk. There was talk that you know some someone within GM might it might stay. It might go. Look, if it stays and, and GM retains some ownership of it, I think we'll continue to see them using it. But you know, there was a cool rumor that I heard that um, Lindsay Fox was looking at buying it. Um, he already o- owns the wonderful Anglesey facility down uh, at Anglesey, down on the Great Ocean Road, which is an amazing f- test facility. Um, if his company was to buy that, which I really hope that he does, um, keeping it within Australia, uh, I would hope that maybe GM might rent it back because, you know, the one down at uh, Anglesey is rented by numerous brands and, and different contractors ar- around the world to use for testing. And having been to Lang Lang and seen what it's like, it would be sad to see it you know, bulldozed and turned into a housing development or something. I'd love to see it retained because it is such a good facility and it's down the other direction from Melbourne. Um, you know, it's one we got have one on either side of the bay would be would be great to retain. There was talk that one of the other um, 
uh, Vietnamese car companies was talking about buying it as well. So, look, whoever buys it, I would hope that they would then turn it into an open test facility in terms that you could you could rent it uh, or rent parts of it like Anglesey's currently done uh, and you'd be able to, brands would still be able to use it. Obviously, there would still obviously be that air of secrecy and they would keep that locked down and you would be under embargo and, and that if you were to go in and under non-disclosure agreements, which, you know, people are happy to sign and, and that's in that sense, but it would be great to see it happen and it would be great to see GM still testing vehicles out here. You know, we, we have the ability to be in the other other hemisphere to, to the US and Canada and we can be testing in winter when they're testing in summer. So um, we can only hope, but yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens and we all hoped and prayed that Cadillac would probably come here but uh, I don't think it's definitely it's not going to happen here but I'd love to be wrong um, mm. but yeah it's, well, it's also it's, I think a lot of brands probably even GM think that uh, with cars particularly that aren't local here they can they can get away with a little bit more and have a little bit more secret, secrecy around because even most people driving around won't even know what it is so they won't even pay much attention to it where I think you find in, in, in the US and Europe, there's a, there's a lot of people looking for these development cars, but oh, yeah. maybe because Australia's a little bit smaller, a little bit quieter, they can be a bit more discreet in uh, getting vehicles in and out in a relatively um, well-equipped testing environment. Well, I'm just I'm looking at yeah, the, can... uh, the one you saw, Joel. Uh, so it's a CT5. Um quad exhaust is and we'll post these photos up as well so everyone yeah. can see as well so pretty pretty standard looking ct5 it doesn't look particularly different even the, the diffuser maybe looks a little bit tacked on actually bolted on by the look of it um but the interesting thing about the ct5 is there has been rumors about um a blackwing option which is the uh the cadillac 4.2 liter twin turbo v8 um pretty impressive piece of kit so double overhead cam, 410 kilowatts, 860-odd newton metres of torque. So pretty impressive piece of gear, much more impressive than the current 3-litre V6 turbo they've got in the in the CT5Vs. Um, so if this was a development meal for the Blackwing, that would certainly be a, um, a pretty pretty impressive catch. Having said that, they've... It they... probably makes sense, given that the car is, like what you said, Joel, the interior is fairly finished so maybe if it is a a, a model to be introduced or, or a refresh model to come in it probably makes sense that some of those components are probably you know the, the, are finished or just been used from a different standard of model yeah it's weird yeah, like whatever. i said before that i that it doesn't have the evaluation vehicle sticker on it it only has left-hand drive traditionally yeah, um, it is left-hand drive they usually have left-hand drive and evaluation vehicle on it or one of a combination of the two um, so it's interesting to to see that yeah but then you look at that bottom valance on it there's an interesting looking toe point underneath yeah and then also that. it looks like that bottom valance has been modified as well mm -hmm. to change different exhaust and stuff as well yeah there's um where the exhaust so there's a huge kind of looks like somebody got in with a dremel and just hacked out the uh, the two two points, the two exit points for the exhaust to fit in, so they can fit in different sizes or test fit different. Maybe a three three D printing different um, surrounds as well to go with that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it yeah. seems to be. It, it looks like a car that's mostly finished, but they just 
haven't well, whatever the you know whatever the, the purpose of it is around something and, we can't see so exactly yeah i mean even so the it's probably it's was... probably everything to do with the drivetrain electronics that kind of thing um yeah the only thing that looks actually finished is that front bumper it looks like it's been it, it it's painted properly versus now there's bits and bits pieces missing from it um including the the badge that sits over the top of the uh the well, the active cruise control sensors um but everything else is finished or wrapped a little bit funny um just yeah it doesn't look like paint it just looks like plastic body panels which is interesting yeah so obviously the the priorities are not on finish for this vehicle no, obviously not yeah at all. engineering and evalu- evaluation for sure yeah that's right otherwise we wouldn't have been seeing those bright red wheels either yeah yeah which is an interesting choice i've never seen that red wheel look before it's uh, no. it's very it's very different <laughs> Very special edition. What do you think? Yeah. 20s? 20s, I reckon? 19s or 20s? Yeah. Yeah, it looks it's like a, a pretty 20 low-profile tyre. Yeah, it's a very low-profile. Yeah. They are very low-profile. Yep. But they're the general, uh, yeah. generally the wheels we see on, a, on the Cadillacs floating around. Yeah, So, but it is, unmistakably, it is very much Cadillac with just the badges ripped off. Um, the bodywork just unfinished, but uh, yeah. but even yeah, even in that state, it's still a sexy car. Well, these, yeah. these two are the ones that are now under um, guidance from Mike Simcoe, um, ex Holden Monaro designer, now chief of um, mm. exterior design for North American vehicles. That's right. And you'll see a lot of them too. They all have that. I mean, I can look at this and and relate it to the um, the Tirana concept that was the predecessor to the VE. Um, very similar mm-hmm. sort of lines. One clear straight line uh, character on the hip. Um, it doesn't bulge out anywhere in particular. It's not boxed flares or no. anything outrageous like that. It's really well constrained. And it does have a little bit of Mike Simcoe feel to it. Um, very similar to the sort of VE when it first came out. Nice, sharp, clean, uh, clean lines. And you have a look at the mm-hmm. um, the new products coming out through Cadillac in general, obviously following a similar sort of um, style. But if you look at the new mm-hmm. larger SUVs like the Traverse and that sort of thing, they've also got a very similar um, kind of clean exterior aesthetic. They're a lot less fussy than the things that are coming out of uh, Asia and stuff at the moment where they're throwing mm-hmm. a lot of angles and cuts and stuff. It seems like GM is starting to tailor that stuff back and trying to make it a little bit more classic not that we're going to see much of it but um i can definitely no. see a similar sort of theme in this in this caddy as well, well it's going to be interesting to see where gm goes now given that they aren't needing to focus on a right-hand drive market they can really specialize into their domestic market because they've also exited a lot of other foreign markets left hand right-hand drive so be it's going to be an interesting time to see well what does gm without needing to think about an international product anymore what do they craft up for a a u.s domestic first product lineup rather than everybody else having to think globally and uh, i think we're going to see some very good cars come out of that because americans still you know the number the top selling cars is still you know the ford f-150 and and v8s and very power hungry or parry power powerful power delivery vehicles yeah that's it yeah and when you take away any of those inhib you know inhibitors from a global market uh, 
they'll be able to cook up some very very special cars i think a lot of people are going to be envious of um yeah i'm, well, I'm waiting people are going to be env- envious of all over the world i'm kind of waiting for the um for a bit more um xenocentric a bit more um china focused design influences to come out i mean maybe their car culture mm-hmm. is kind of focused on um from a um, aspirational point of view getting things that represented what people have looked like when they were rich previously which is what americans used to drive when they were rich or the europeans drive when they're rich so yeah. big long limousines mm-hmm. all black and chrome mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff seems to be a fairly um popular um upper end sort of design for the chinese market but there's nothing that I, I don't think i've seen so far that comes from the general chinese culture and there because you know they're um their writing and the um, traditional colors and outfits and all those sorts of things from traditional chinese culture are really much more dynamic than american stuff which is just you know um, whatever the fat is that week or that month um I think yeah. I'd like to see some more traditional Chinese aesthetic coming into these products because obviously that's the only other big mm-hmm. market that GM has to think about sure. now. Um, mm-hmm. I've been waiting for that to happen for about 20 years and it hasn't, so maybe maybe next year. Uh, but yeah. Who uh, knows what it'll bring. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yep. No, but so we've got... Um, couple of other local news items some couple big ones so the next one was uh reported that honda it was rumored um that things were going to be changing but honda has actually now come out and said that they're changing their business model to a fixed price model and mm. coming back and cutting down from a, a fairly large dealer network down to only having 11 dealers australia-wide as well as cutting a couple of models including the jazz so um interesting times it's probably good timing for them uh, but it's still a big move for a brand like honda yeah Yeah. it's a big move in terms of what they're what they're doing i mean they're cutting that that brand down i mean it's it's sad to see something like the jazz go because you know it's a good looking small compact car and it's clever in a couple of the the features that it has particularly those sort of folding seat set up inside but in terms of what they're doing they've obviously got to look at it their business model isn't working they're trying to to fix it uh, and obviously work out what's going to be the best thing to obviously be able to stay in australia you know there's been a lot of talk of brands leaving and we have lost a couple recently in terms of you know infinity and now holden and stuff like that so it's good the fact that they've made the move to stay in the market um Mm -hmm. but it's sad to see them losing losing their dealer network um but obviously, you know, if the if the interest isn't there in your models, what else can you do? Yeah, yeah, quite. And I see that the the change in the in the structure as well is that Honda are going to own the vehicles rather than dealers buying the stock and holding the stock to sell the stock, which probably supports that fixed price model where they can have a little bit better control of how much stock they actually have available, so they don't end up with a problem of having uh, dealers overloaded with poorly selling stock that isn't really selling that well and you know having the need to to significantly cut those prices to move those models on i'm wondering if this is a so what's what what's the benefit of going to this model is it that the the brand itself gets more of the um 
more of the profit because it wears most of the risk. It's holding all the stock itself. It's essential. It's essentially becoming a centralised um, logistic location where they just send stuff out mm-hmm. as required. Um, it's. It seems to me is it a is it a loss for dealers? Are dealers going to make less money out of this? Is Honda going to make more? I don't know enough about the um, about the sales network organisation to to really understand it. But well, there was there was talk with this model that it could change pricing and the models could become cheaper because it it does effectively cut out the middleman um, in terms of I think the dealers now will effectively become a delivery point um and they'll become a service network so they'll look after the service but the pricing and and the the sale is actually the opportunity to do finance as well i would think that probably in line with things like what we've seen with subaru and the brz when they revealed that car what they did they did a direct sale process where you ordered the vehicle online you paid your deposit online directly to subaru but then you selected where you wanted to pick that car up from. And by choosing a specific dealer, that gave the dealer the opportunity then to sell in the finance and how to actually settle the rest of the the balance of that vehicle that's owed. So that's where probably we'll find that those 11 dealers or so uh, might have that opportunity to to make money and have that incentive to be a delivery mechanism for it as well as the servicing. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like where's the... Yeah. Um, where, where's the carrot on the stick for the dealer if then to actually invest money and be a Holden deal, a Honda dealer, and pay for mm-hmm. the Honda sign and pay for the, you know, the rest of the um, the support that goes around with supporting a particular brand. If they're not making as much money, I'm hoping that the well, I'm assuming that the impost to become a dealer is is going to be a lot less. Um, but maybe are we, it, are we going to see? Are we going to see dealer or car buying change significantly and even through this um, potentially an economic shutdown, which the discussion is talking about? Is this going to give car makers the opportunity to change their business models? And because it's, this Honda model isn't necessarily a new one that we're because we've seen uh, Tesla operates in a very similar way. They just own the dealers as well rather yep. than having somebody else hold the, lo- the rights to do that. And they don't negotiate on price. It's that's the price of the car. If you want it, that's what you pay. Um, we see that with Genesis as well. They, I, I do believe they don't operate on a fully fixed price model, but essentially, it's the same kind of thing where Hyundai are managing that sales process and the sales presence itself. And when you buy a car, you're buying it directly. You're not going through through a dealer. So it also creates. A, it has the opportunity for the brand to control it that customer experience as well a little bit more rather than having a, a third-party dealer with their own interest on top trying to, you know, trying to, to add their own bit on top. Well, there um, may, may even be space there for a um, for an alternative model where a, a dealer is really a shop front. Like, it, it is a delivery point, essentially. Yeah. And they could be mm-hmm. um, mixed, medium-sized cars. So you just sell. So I've got the... The Mazda 6, the Toyota Camry, the um, the Honda uh, Accord in your showroom mm-hmm. and say, I've got these size cars. So when you're looking for this type of car, come and see me and I can give you the best deal on either one of them. And then mm-hmm. it becomes a matter of the brands um, trying to negotiate with the actual price point guy to get the best price. Um, I, I, yeah. 
I don't know. I'm just sort of spitballing there about sort of changing or is, the model. Or is negotiating for a price a thing? Is is it going to be a, is a, it going? a thing of the past? Normally, we know. Yeah, we can walk in and go. Well, they they've got sixty thousand on the sticker. Well, we're going to throw in fifty and go from there, and some you know somehow meet in the middle. That's typically you know mm. most people kind of head in with that idea. But is this an early sign that negotiating for a car is going to be a thing of the past, and it's going to going to be more like our electronics now, where yeah, you can still negotiate on price, but most of the time, because of buying through online, like Amazon or eBay or anything like you that, can just or other Google directly it and from find retailers, the one, yeah, yeah, and you just take the price, and and that's what it is. Um, is is it the end of negotiating for for cars? I think it might be. I think the way that Honda's going to hold stock uh, as well and own the stock, if there's only X, you know, number of Accords in a certain color and whatever else around the country you're not going to have a lot of choice you know you're literally going to have to to buy at that price you want it today i've only got there's only five and one of them could be sold tomorrow and it could be going to new south wales or queensland or wherever you know i think it's going to be harder to to be able to do that and so for them it means that you know honda keeps less stock um there in terms of options and whatever else and that every state is going to is going to pull from that stock if that's the way it does unless they're going to have holdings in every in every state but at least at the end of the day you know you're pricing you're pricing stuck so i think you're right i think you know genesis have gone down this route with the what they're doing with their models you know honda obviously going to go down this route tesla are already doing it um there's a few other brands that are talking about going to that to that thing super toyota did it with the super on with online ordering you know subaru did it with the brz yeah it's been it's been tried already so it'll be interesting to see what the uh, what the rest of the brands do as to to follow suit and what happens coming out of this current crisis as well mm. that's right and seeing the next the next point we've got a couple of genesis pieces of news we, we touched on it last week but i think it's uh worth bringing up now given we um we're talking about similar business models so the the GV80 SUV from Genesis to 2020, the new model. That Genesis, the first SUV from Genesis. Um, we expect that to probably arrive around July. Yeah, this is a. Uh, it's interesting because we get all, all the brands are always trying to get one sort of distinct, <clears throat> excuse me, a distinct sort of style. Um, you know, some particular hallmark that makes this vehicle a particular brand. And with the Genesis Motors, you can see they've got the two straight lines for the um, for the headlights and the taillights mm-hmm. going around the sides to the indicators. So they've got that on the GV80 and um, on the oh, some of the teaser images for the, for the G80 as well, which is coming out, I think, the reveals in two days' time. Um, yes, what, what do you what do you guys think? Is it a, a interior looks from another planet? Like it looks incredibly modern and new. The exterior, I think it's attractive. Um, what do you guys think of, of of the look with the with the twin strikes? Is it a um, is it a good look? Is it a modern look? Because I don't think it looks super new. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts? No, I, I think that. The, like I said, the interior looks amazing, and I think Genesis have done a fantastic job on the G70 in particular. That is a great looking car inside and out. Yeah. But that interior, every person that I've, every time I've had um, one of those to drive, 
every person that I've had the opportunity to show the car to that fall in love with the interior. And I think it's because their design team probably doesn't give enough credit to their design team, to be honest, but it feels like they've borrowed all of the great elements from Audi, BMW, Mercedes, Maserati, yep. and they've taken all the good things and put it all in a, in a really tasteful way. They've put it all into one package and it just works so well. I think the the GV80 from the outside, and I, maybe it's the color they've chosen for the hero mm. at the moment. The that that silvery, goldy bronze. Yeah, maybe that's the thing that ages it. So it kind of looks like a mid two thousands Mercedes um, from certain points of view, particularly that rear. The from the side profile, the front three quarter photo. The rear looks like the R class Mercedes from the mid two thousands. Yeah. I was about yeah. to say the same thing. Yeah, I actually really and, liked the R class. The front, though, to be fair, but, so yeah. do I. I had <laughs> yeah. one as an Uber in Sydney once, and that was an awesome car. <laughs> but I just think it maybe it's the color. It just shows it does look old. But I think I don't think it looks old. A, I think it, it's I think different in a black or something like that. I think it's going to look a lot better. But I probably wouldn't have if I was on their product marketing team. I probably probably would have chosen a different color. To, to hero that car but who knows maybe the market that they're going for this this speaks to them a lot better than uh, any other color does mm, you're right ash though you look at what they've done with other models that blue and that mar- that maroni red that they, they've done um yeah. on the other g series that's such a good looking color the, mm-hmm. that blue or particularly even the red would look fantastic on the gv80 yeah. but you look at that interior shot at first glance you'd swear you're looking inside a bentley that, oh, I was the, about the, to say the same thing. I just put those the seats, in, in the a, steering wheel, and everything yeah. like that. It really yeah. looks like it's a it's a Bentley. Um, so like and they've the gone is, it, it another feel level cheap either. No, even the G seventy, the G eighty was showing its age a little bit, and that's why it's great to see that they've got a new model. So they're doing the live stream for that on Monday at I think it was two o'clock daylight time, one p.m. Brisbane time, and so I'm really keen to see that because the G80 was good it just needed an update by the time it sort of got there but looking at the photos of the GV80 it just looks unreal and given the quality that Genesis are going for at the moment and they're hitting that really really well you know you've got a lot of metals you've got a lot of leather you've got a lot of things to touch that just feel great in the hand and that's what usually for me anyway when I'm looking for a car or what I'm looking at a car go well doesn't match the price point or does it exceed the price point it's aiming for in feel and look and oh man you could it feels like this is kind of it almost looks like an alternate design for the bentayga um it looks like it could have been a bit of a like an early on concept for bentley a design concept and you know they decided to go a little bit further with the, the clocks and everything like that but yeah it's a great looking interior or another and version the of the of the Ventiga. It's a, yeah. it's, a it's, it's it's its sister model, effectively. Yeah. It, it really is sitting, and you're looking at like you said with that new G80 to be to be launched on Monday. It's again, that's another level in terms of what it looks like. I briefly saw the GV80 from a distance at the Grand Prix, and um, when they had it set up on the stand, and, and you know from a distance it was good. And the one they had there was a was a darker color. I couldn't quite tell from the distance, but. Uh, yeah. It it looked good in the, in that darker that darker color. So uh, I think the, they've got a you know a strong future ahead with yeah. the market, and it'll be interesting to see how it goes with that. Obviously, um, 
their sales model, but you know, I think it'll be good I to just, see some I just more fa- of these around. I just found another photo of that GV80 in the green, like the it's not British racing green, but it's like that metallic green that Genesis do. And yeah, um, that color looks way better from the exterior. It actually looks like a Bentley. It's going to confuse a lot of people on the outside. I think it actually probably looks better than the Bentayga. I think the Bentayga is a little bit ugly on the outside. Um, in, <laughs> you in you don't have to whisper that. Black. You can say that louder. <laughs> <laughs> black it out and it looks okay um, yeah. with a roof pod and everything. But that Genesis, wow. I, haven't, I hadn't seen it in green. Um, uh, but oh, yeah, yeah okay. I hope this sells well because, man, that's a good-looking SUV. They're doing a lot of good stuff. Like I, yeah. Even though I know the G80 is old, um, but so am I. Um, but rear-wheel drive, <laughs> um, direct-injected 3.8-liter V6. It's really nice car to drive. Like not you don't you don't throw it around, but. Out here where I am on the Sunshine Coast, going up through the hinterland and out through the back of um, Kenilworth and up to Mullaney and that sort of thing. Such a beautiful car to drive. Really nice yeah. and quiet with the... Although everybody in Queensland thinks I'm crazy because I like glass roofs. Um, the glass roof and the G80 <laughs> driving around with the windows open in the Sunshine Coast weather. It's yeah. it, it's a great way to spend your time. And that's what I think those sorts of cars, you know, those luxury cars should be about, you know, somewhere to spend your time and enjoy um, rather than just buying something because it's got a flashy badge on it. They've got to, they've got to have that nice yep. ambience and comfort. G80, a little bit old, right. surprisingly didn't have the... Um, uh, didn't have DAB, which I was quite surprised with. Still an that old... Is weird. It was missing days. a couple of things. Yeah, it was missing a few bits and pieces, but from a from a car perspective it did all the car things really well so this next generation of I've, I've got very high hopes for oh absolutely i love and i've even seen it. photos of the g90 which the u.s market gets and i even look at that and go oh i wish that we got that here it probably doesn't really suit the market at the moment yeah um because genesis is still quite new and still needs to find its foothold here in the aussie yep. market but i have a little of i have a little bit of belief that given that Hyundai is doing so is still doing really really well in their position in the market. I hope it it means that unlike some other brands, they really give it a good shot here in Australia and 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 let it try and find its mark um, yep. rather than delivering these great models. Not really, you know. This we still don't have a a, Gen- a Genesis showroom here in Brisbane yet, no. which means that it. Even though that they will bring you a vehicle straight to you and give you the opportunity to do a test drive, you know, keep it for a weekend, that kind of thing, and, and really let you to, to get to know the car. But unlike Sydney, where they've got the, the studio there in the middle of the of the um, the mall, mm-hmm. they're missing out on that discoverability that you get from either having plenty of cars on the road or just having people walk past one. Um, during their lunch break, and go, oh, I really like the look of that. Yeah, and that, then that, finding out that it's a lot cheaper than the, 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 the than, than the competition that's out there. Yeah, well, you look at that Fortitude Valley area where um, where BMW and Mercedes are um, in yeah. Brisbane. Um, that's that's an ideal spot to stick a Genesis, even if they just mm-hmm. hire a um, um, like a billboard showroom sort of thing in front of another shop. 
that's yeah. next to that um, yeah. James Street eating area down there and just put a car right mm-hmm. there so they can see it and even just look at it and while they're eating their lunch and going, oh, what's that? Let's yeah. find out more about that car. I'd, I'd well, that's where I frequently. Um, that's where I spend a lot of time in that in that bit of Brisbane. And whenever I do have Genesis, I always take it slow and, and just keep an eye out for who's looking at the car and who's taking yep. it in. And it gets particularly the G70 because it's a. Gr- I, we've said it so many times, great looking cars, mm. um, but because it looks so good, a lot it, it just attracts a lot of attention. Um, and maybe it's because it, a lot of people mistake it for a Bentley if you know what a Bentley looks like it's you'll be able to just you know it's it's fairly it's like we can tell the difference between a, a UK speaker and a and a, an Aussie accent where you know Americans sometimes get mixed up between the two yeah but it attracts attention and then when I say well you know the equivalent BMW is usually five to ten thousand dollars more or even greater than that yeah usually more. Go, oh really yeah and the warranty is better um the the servicing will probably be you know competitive compared to the bmw or the mercedes or anything like that yeah um so yeah that. they've got a lot of good things going for you got to spend a lot of money to get that full eyeball squishing torque and power delivery that you get out of the yeah. um, turbo v6 in the in the g70 right. to get that out of anything european you're you're over six figures yeah, yeah that's right yep um yeah, so it look, it looks really, really good. It, it probably, who knows? Will we see it? Will it be delayed? Will we not see it maybe till later than in the year? If um, mm. if we're still in a bit of a lockdown, it's probably a reality I would expect. Um, but if everything points back, it's it either could be the perfect time to land as the economy looks to get going again and wants to spend money. Um, or it could be just uh, worthwhile holding on to it a little bit longer um, for it to, to have some success here. Yeah, happy I'm not making that decision. No. That'll be a tough but one. But look, I'd, I'd be more than happy for one to arrive early and to be put into the press fleet to, to drive. That's for, <laughs> that's for sure. Yes, for sure. Um, but look, uh, so yeah, we already mentioned um, the, the new G80 that replaces the... The original, what originally was introduced to to Australia as the Hyundai Genesis, which then became the Genesis G80, as Hyundai then got a, had a little bit more confidence behind the brand. Um, then the replacement for that will be live streamed tomorrow, um, or on Monday, sorry, at 2 p.m. daylight time, 1%, 1 percent, 1 p.m. Brisbane time. We'll have a, a link up to to stream it, um, but we look forward to to seeing what's up there. Following on from that, um, the last bit of, well, the other bit of local news that we have is New South Wales has added the Dodge Ram 1500, that behemoth, <laughs> um, to to their police fleet yeah. um, to look like it's going to be doing some towing duties. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what else you'd, um, you would employ it for, to be honest. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's right. Look, it, it could be like uh, we... we we keep mentioning Too Fast or Furious in every episode so far, so it could be one of those things just to move people out of, people out of the way. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> yeah, by the true. looks of it, by the by the press release anyway, um, it looks like it's going to be used in different parts of New South Wales to to tow th- um, things like their inflatable boats and jet skis, uh, because with the braked forty five hundred kilo towing, 
Um, it really just means that to set a good example of towing, um, sensible towing, and not to, you know not having an unsuitable vehicle for the towing limit that you have, um, having a vehicle that obviously can do that with ease makes sense. Yeah. Um, and there's really no other apart from the Silverado, the Dodge Ram. Those two are really the other vehicles to get if you're going to be towing some heavy things. It's a good advert for Ram as well because they've been pushing a lot with their TV campaign about their That's towing right. capabilities and stuff like that. So it's yeah. good. To, it, it's a it's a really a no brainer for for them to get involved to be able to do that um, in terms of their promotion or you know being able to work with the police force and what they're doing. But showing that it can tow four um, four jet skis, it's a it's a great advert for for mm-hmm. the product. And it also supports because uh, it, it is a locally um, converted product, so it also supports local manufacturing to to a degree where the vehicles imported and changed from uh, uh, left hand drive to right hand drive, and also carries a local warranty. So I guess from a from a responsible point of view, the police force is also doing a good thing by highlighting that you can get these products um, with local backing um, properly as well. I, I did note that they also um, last year was it they bought a um, a Ram twenty five hundred to assess its capabilities yeah. on duty. I mean, you'd you'd need a step ladder or a ramp to throw your perps in the back <laughs> of it if it was a paddy wagon. Uh, <laughs> right. It's they're they're a very substantial vehicle. I um, I wonder how that sort of affects. You'd have to have it dedicated to specific duties because you can't drive that stuff around town or or anything like that maybe blocking off a side street when you've got an rbd set up it is a, a useful yeah, tool that for it. really is you block about four <laughs> lanes so That's yeah right. but uh, are you guys seeing a lot I of um multiple different vehicles being used by the by the police fleets so queensland police i see a lot of um sonatas at the moment so the turbo sonatas um that sort of thing santa fe's I-loads, they seem to have a lot of Hyundais on their fleet. Um, yeah, and also, um, we've got a... I, I actually just got passed today by um, one of the Fatal 5 cars, mm. the, the Mercedes C63S yeah. AMG. Um, and he, uh, I think he... Because I, I have a couple of sight and magnets on the side of the car that I'm putting it under review. And I think um, I had a good read and then gave me a, a good squirt up the road, which was <laughs> surprising but entertaining as well. You awesome. don't really expect that from uh, from a police officer. But look, I, I more than welcomed it. It brightened up my morning, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I am finding uh, a bit more variety in the fleet, particularly even fixed speed cameras. I'm finding that they're using uh, the Mitsubishi Outlanders rather than um, the Mercedes oh. Vito vans for their fixed speed cameras now. Um, I use Kluger's down here. Um, I've seen a couple of Outlanders. Uh, I think there was a Kia I saw at some stage in terms of for the for the fixed speed cameras. But in our police fleet, uh, I've seen the paddy wagons have kind of been replaced with the the new the Colorado setups uh, that yeah. they announced probably 12 months ago, I think, that were coming. So I've seen quite a few of those. Saw a Passat wagon the other day. Um, Santa Fe's. Um, I've also seen uh, a couple of the Highway Patrol, the 530D BMWs. Um, a friend of mine who's a police officer and uh, that I know, he said that he's seen the the he's got to hang out with the M5 that they had as well that was on patrol for a while. Um, 
so yeah, there's all kinds of interesting models doing the rounds around the trip with BMW and Mercedes that both got involved and donated cars to to the police to use and try at different times. Um, we know Kia is using the um, oh mental uh, plates. They're using the yeah stingers in Queensland. Yes. Yeah, we've got plenty um, of So, Queensland. yeah, it's good. Lots of different brands. I think I might have even seen a Sonata like you talked about before. Um, yeah, it's... Look, in terms of, you know, Holden's loss has definitely been every other brand's gain in terms of being able to get into that fleet market. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's quite interesting. I haven't it's seen the... I haven't um, seen more um, Ford vehicles, to be honest, filling in because they already had a fairly good pre-existing relationship maybe it's just the suitability of the product and we know it was fairly um public the the failings of the mustang to meet the suitability for the highway patrol vehicles back when they were evaluating those but um i'm surprised they've they've got some good product as well and i'm surprised they haven't seen more of the ford vehicles um part of that mix it's been mostly yeah mitsubishi um mercedes uh, Kia, Hyundai that have really filled in that gap that's been left. I'd be surprised if we don't see. I mean, the Focus wagon is probably still maybe on the smaller side, but even sort of Mondeo's and the Mondeo wagon, I would have thought that might have been a logical yeah. choice in terms of from the Ford product range. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if, yeah, the, I know. Uh, wonder if it's the Euro Origins that are kind of the um, detractor there because obviously um, these are high-wear vehicles. Um, they're used a lot to do a lot of things. You're going to need a lot of parts to support them, so the cost there to keep them running is going to be more expensive when you're when you're looking at those European solutions. Um, I did recall uh, talking to a police officer a while ago, um, particularly about the longevity of police vehicles, and their best was the Orion, then the Commodore, and then the Falcon was um, used to fall apart yeah. fairly fairly early. But it was all about how much life you could get out of them for the dollar before they fell fell apart or needed. Um, serious mm. repairs that was that was the big question and obviously so- sourcing things from from Europe is going to be expensive I'm surprised to hear BMWs doing anything more than um, being there for demonstration purposes but as general fleet vehicles surely that's got to be expensive it's fairly active I think well they're, the, they're, the they're running a, yeah they're running a, a special variant of the 530 as well so it's actually a stripped down model kind of like how toyota with the prius and the camry hybrids they actually have a taxi spec which includes um factory fit vinyl and everything like that and i think bmw are using um that same approach like what they do with the european police cars which they supply as well but offering that special model um, where you get the engine, you get the running gear, but in terms of interior and everything like that, it's stripped down. And I think to get fleet, don't forget these cars, a lot of people tend to forget that it's not just police wanted to drive BMWs, so they opted for BMWs. Usually, it's a fairly comprehensive um, bidding yeah, process yeah. and where the entire servicing contracts and everything are, are, are laid out um, for the entire life of the vehicle and the life of the contract. And if they don't meet that, there typically can be penalties or other sorts of um, uh, ways to, to make up those shortcomings. Yeah. Um, so usually all of these, so they would have been evaluated next to every other manufacturer that put a bid in. And, um, and the police force, when looking at that, and obviously making 
you know, thinking about money is one of the biggest considerations um, and the capability, that's where they've come up. And, and ha- it, it apparently seems that the BMW was the, the best choice at that point in time. Doesn't mean they made the best mm. choice. Only time will tell with that. Um, but Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it'd be interesting because it, 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 typically for most people, the servicing of a BMW or any other European car tends to be fairly high. But um, we do know that if you look at the cost of American parts for BMWs, there is a significant significant price difference. So who knows? Maybe BMW Australia are giving uh, more preferential pricing to, to, to government fleet. Um, we, yeah, sure. They'll be buying bulk parts. We won't know. So. Yep. That's right. Um, and even if they are servicing through the dealer network, I know that here in Queensland, um, the Toyotas just go through a regular dealer network for servicing. Um, so even if they do go through the, the regular dealer network, I'm sure they have a code for parts um, that helps reduce that cost down as part of like a, a bulk fleet option. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see more BMWs throughout as other states and territories see if the New South Wales vehicles do go well or not because they seem to be a very popular um highway patrol car and they seem to be working fairly well so far we haven't heard many um negative things come out at all um yeah and i think that will only improve the the value proposition if we get more states involved um obviously because even though they'd be having their own separate contracts it would create in general a better or you'd hope so anyway, better um, scales of economy for those fleet fleets that are ro- operating them. Yeah. Um, but look, uh, as we talk about dealers, um, I, I hasn't been, I haven't seen too much news about it anyway, um, but talking to a, a few people that work at a, a local um, Toyota dealer here in Brisbane, it seems that the effect of COVID-19 is definitely coming through um, with uh, with one dealer going from over 200 cars per week for servicing just to just down to 28, um, which is quite a significant drop. Um, which wow. means that a lot of those mechanics, those permanent mechanics, have been um, put down to a five day five day fortnight. And um, unfortunately, it seems that they've had to let all of their apprentices go simply because there just isn't the volume volume there um so it seems that uh even if we aren't seeing we will take a little bit longer to see sales figures the impact from this um but definitely in in the servicing side um the the impact has definitely been been real with obviously businesses and people not getting out and moving around as much so um there's less of a need to to have those vehicles serviced right now yeah the next vfac should be interesting to look at in terms of what the sales have been like um, in terms of for the, over the last month, I've been watching and I follow a lot of, or have a bit, rather large network of um, of dealership people in my in my LinkedIn um, connections, and it's interesting yeah. looking at them and what they've been doing. And they're all you know they're all being busy and all reacting and trying to do the best they can. A lot of them are offering um, pickups from home to have your car service so you don't even have yeah. to leave your house, um, particularly if you're in quarantine. Um, or you're self-isolating, uh, you know, that's great. And then there's also the ability to, there's a lot of dealerships talking about bringing cars to to you as well to test drive mm-hmm. at home. Um, it's quite, you know, the, a lot of guys are on the front foot and reacting as best as 
they can uh, in this in this in this time. So um, I think that anyone that's offering that pickup service for um, you know for service, I had my car serviced uh, just before everything started to started to to, to, cl- to close down or, or react to COVID-19 only because I was supposed to be away for a period of time and I thought it'd be easier to get the car done then um, <laughs> than, as opposed to now. But, uh, you know, after we got back. So, uh, you know, it, it's interesting just to see what what the next month and that will will bring and, and hopefully, you know, we won't see more of this. But uh, unfortunately, we just don't know how long it's going to last. No, that's right. Yeah. I think that um, uh, that uncertainty, it's, what it's, yeah. I mean, are people going to be wanting to spend money this month? Obviously, this, the March VFAX, like you say, is going to be quite interesting, but they've already been held up by, you know, there's a lot of people that um, have just been affected by the fires. Then you go into the coronavirus phase. There's only like a two-week period there of meat where people have been buying stuff, but within that period too was, a, um, was the closing of Holden, where one of the Holden dealers I talked to said that people were just walking in buying tracks and like lining up that lining up out the door to buy one because it had the the factory discount to get them out the door. They actually ran out of tracks and continued to sell the ones that they had available that were uh, low kilometer demos from other places because people were just walking in saying, "Give me a tracks," which is quite strange because the tracks is um, a, a modest offering, I'll say. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's um, right; they don't exist anymore. You can be. Yeah, I'm not stepping on anyone's toes. Well, I didn't. I didn't mind the tracks actually, to be honest. But it just wasn't my type of car. I don't mind it either. Yeah, just well, when they were first introduced, enough. I think they were great. Um, but then, yeah, I, I kind of fell out of love with it um, as the product got a little bit older and it didn't really see any um, any key updates uh, through its life cycle. Will be interesting to look. It'll yeah. when they come out. I'll make sure I'm going to get into and have a really good look at the VFAC figures at the end of March. But I'm intrigued just to see the number of Camaros sold because a friend of mine has just announced that they've bought one um, because the mm. price was right. They've been obviously thinking about it, um, and for them, it's a it's the opposite brand of what they currently own. And so they looked at it and said, "Well, the price is right. We're going to do it." So I think it'll be interesting to see you know how many of those sold. <laughs> Who knows? It may have outsold the Mustang this for month of March because <laughs> because you know if the price is right, there could have been a lot of people that are buying them because they probably won't be. We don't know how many more we're going to get. You know, it is earmarked to be finishing at some stage, and mm-hmm. um, I'm not yeah. sure exactly the number of figures that um, Walkinshaw are converting each month. But yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch not just this month but uh, next month VFAX as well. Mm. I I did find it interesting well, that the um. The, sorry, that just the interior quality on the on the Camaros being a converted product, and it looks better than the quality of the interior on the Mustangs, which is a factory product, which is amazing. You know, it's a testament to how good the work is from the guys in Clayton because it's a really well finished interior. Another one that I don't fit in, um, but but still pretty good quality uh, materials. I find the Mustang to be a little bit cartoonish for for my tastes. I'm sure it drives well. But uh, Camaro is a great thing. Things which the Camaro, which is, which will just in that inevitably add um, cost to, but unfortunately is a is a is a side effect of being a converted product. Is um, for a for a driver, the cup holders are on the wrong side. They're on the where your elbow goes as a driver. 
Um, so you can't have any tall bottles or anything like that. And unfortunately, the uh, the latch to the glove box is on the 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 essentially on the passenger's door side rather than the inside, so that you have no hope of being able to reach in and grab something out of the glove box. Um, very minor, uh, right, but um, I love the car. But it's just um, yeah, particularly mm. if you um, are, are using the the gear selector more frequently to select your gears or anything like that, um, or even if you are have to push your seat back a little bit further to sit comfortably. Um, if you have anything in the cup holders, they absolutely get in the way because in the left-hand drive product, obviously, it makes a lot more sense having that center tunnel as yeah, it is. Yeah, because they're on the other way. Laid out. That's right. But yeah, it's just those two small things which would cost a lot of money um, and, it, and then, of course, add cost to the driveway price. But unfortunately, it's those two things which they hadn't opted to change just out of... I, out of those two considerations um but so unfortunately it's they're just small little niggles that you'd probably find as you own the car over time you just get used to it um and you know that well i'm not going to use those center cup holders or i'll have to wait for somebody to hop in the passenger seat to to be able to you know grab the the garage door opener or something out of it um but yeah it's just small little things that just yeah yeah you've got to get over it before you offload your eighty thousand dollars yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's right yeah um or you might not notice it until it's too late and you've already bought it and um it'll just be one of those things that annoy you for for a very long time it's you know, it's yep. it's the one of those niggles that never go away yeah but um but there's uh plenty as we're spending more and more time um at home and in between desperately trying to find an excuse to go for a drive before um any sort of lockdowns may or may not come. Um, it looks like uh, a new multi-channel 9 Rush has come in um, from Channel 9 that's set up to compete with 7 Mate. Um, so it looks like they're bringing a whole heap of new content uh, to viewers for free, of course, um, and available for streaming. Uh, but yeah, so it looks like, yeah, so it looks like they're going to be bringing... Um, content from discovery which includes man versus wild street outlaws naked and afraid gold rush um as well as a couple of other local programs as well um so it seems like it's a it's a pretty good addition hopefully we'll see some more automotive content on on there as well there's plenty of stuff um over in america that i'm sure could fill in this space in between um, well starting should be good in general the beauty of it is when it when it launches, which is on Sunday the fifth, so just over a week's time from when we're recording, uh, they're going to be debuting the new new series of Top Gear UK. So yeah, that's a that's pretty cool to see that they're going to be doing uh, that, um, and that we will see that new season coming. Having been a quite uh, close watcher of the last few seasons of Top Gear since the mm-hmm. three major hosts left, um, they're on a winning uh, they're on a winning. Um, what's the word I'm looking Formula. for? They're on what's a winning it? solution or lineup now with the guys that are on it. Um, you know, the, there's not Chris Harris is, is your token car guy, but the other two have done very very well in coming across and and um, they really work well together. And so it's cool to see that we're going to be able to um, have that on you know normal normal TV. Uh, and run. yeah, I might give yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I might give it a look now because I um I did find the, well even with the other three clowns who um have moved on now, 
Um, I did find their approach started getting quite formulaic towards the end, and I did get kind of bored of their same old, same jokes, same day routine. And the next guys that took over were kind of a bit hit and miss for each couple of series. And I, my my interest really waned from um, from Top Gear for a while. Uh, obviously, I've um, Chris Harris is on just about everything else. Like I've seen him on Drive and um, follow him on Instagram and all that sort of stuff. He's always got a lot of content and stuff out there. Mm. Um, so glad to see him on on Top Gear. I do I do like him having him there. But I haven't really watched the watched the more recent series. Um, are they still doing the Once same they, sort of things, or? Yeah, it's very very similar. Um, the, the, unfortunately, the what happened is that when they did the replacement of the the top three and they brought in Chris Evans, he was not a good choice, and he just didn't work. As soon as they got rid of Chris and brought in Matt LeBlanc and put him alongside um, Chris Harris, the dynamic between the two of them was absolutely brilliant. Um, and the only reason Matt LeBlanc stopped doing it was because he was already committed to a TV show in the US, and he was right. finding it hard to travel between the two, you know, two continents, which is understandable. But he was brilliant. He is... You know, being a, a brilliant actor, he he just works so well. His comedic timing and everything with Harris was brilliant. So, and then Rory was also yep. fantastic. And then obviously, when they rebooted the series again after Matt left, Rory unfortunately got dropped off. Chris they kept, which is great. But Freddie Frintoff and Paddy McGuinness um, are brilliant. Look, McGuinness is an interesting character. He's a stand-up comedian. Um, you almost need subtitles for him sometimes, but. The dynamic between the three of them, him and Freddie and, and Rory, uh, it's it's almost back to that original dynamic of the the first three. You know, it's like two of them ganging up on one of the others. Um, they're talking about they haven't actually announced which season exactly they're going to show with the um, with the launch of this new uh, Nine Maybe Rush. I hope it's the, I hope it's the season yep. that's just aired in the UK. I was able to watch a couple of episodes of it, and there is a fantastic episode where they, the three of them, uh, guys go and buy cars, and all I can say is the three of them in outfits at a golf driving range, and it's just probably <laughs> one of the funniest episodes I reckon I have ever seen, <laughs> and I was in stitches on the couch watching this. So if that's what we're going to see, you've got. A, something really to look forward to um and all i can say as well is that there's another great episode that features a um a modified hearse uh and a dirt road and hilarity uh it, it continues and you know the guys have just done a, 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 a oh it's just again they have you in stitches um yeah the, the this current season that's just finished airing it was absolutely brilliant um and the guys have created uh, a really cool dynamic, and, and have done have done pretty well in terms of what they um, of what they uh, what they showed and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, hopefully we'll you know we'll get to see it all in the in the not too distant future. Um, that, that's know, one good. Of the... uh, looking at those other shows, uh, so Man vs Wild, yeah, with Bear Grylls. I mean, how many times can you? see him eat a bat or <laughs> whatever he's doing um he's still okay street outlaws i haven't watched does anyone know what naked and afraid is i think they yeah. uh they drop you in a random spot as uh as as the title explains you're naked and probably because of that you're afraid like burke street or um yeah street <laughs> mall that'd be a yeah um That'd be a naked and terrified. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
But I think they they drop you on a place in the in, in the wilderness, and it's up to you to set up and um, right, so survive. Survival type so you thing. start you literally okay. start from scratch. Yeah. Um, so it's just a little bit less bare grills, more naked. Um, I haven't but seen that kind um, of premise. I haven't seen the Australian um, Dirty Jobs Down Under. Like I've seen the old Dirty Jobs, which is pretty good. Have you guys seen that one? No, no I haven't I actually. Haven't. I wonder who compares I'm that. A, I, I don't really tune into to local TV that much still anymore. But um, no, well, I'm assuming this one was put off, it all um, in one Discovery. convenient spot. I'll. Uh, be paying a bit I'm more just, attention. I'm just checking the trailer, guys, uh, on from what we're talking about for Nine Rush, and it looks like the guys uh, are bringing that current season that's just finished airing in the UK will be the one cool. that, that'll debut. So, um, yeah, if you're a, if you love entertainment and you love comedy and you love cars, this is a, it's a must watch. Um, we might even uh, try and do a bit of a review each week as it goes to air and get you guys to watch it and uh, give some thoughts. But um, yeah, I uh, I can't wait for you guys to watch it because it's uh, um, oh, there actually looks to be looking at the the trailer. There is a few more car orientated shows. Throw their million dollar garage um, is in there. Uh, what else did we see? Um, Cops UK so there's going to be some cool stuff in there in terms of um, some car content for us to watch uh, that's going to be free on you know normal air um, uh, on, yeah, free on normal telly and you won't, have to, you won't have to pay for yeah so that, um, so that starts at, yep. <laughs> I'd be worried if you can't otherwise It'll you should be able to watch so. it through you should be able to watch it through nine now. I think is the oh the yeah, yeah. Online, option yeah. as well on demand. Yeah, so yeah, so nine rush it commences at um seven o'clock, seven p.m. I, I assume that's daylight time um, on Sunday, April five, uh, with the yeah with the premiere of the uh, there they go with the with with the exclusive premiere of the new series of Top Gear UK. So there we go. So that's something that we'll be able to watch and discuss as well. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. But moving right along into, let's touch on some international news now. So this is um, news that's happening overseas, or or announcements of vehicles that we um, that probably will come here to Australia, but um, haven't been confirmed so much in in any way or anything like that. Um, but first off, we've got the new Land Cruiser 300 series, a car that we will probably see. We're just not sure on what form because what they've um, the latest reports that have coming out is saying that they've confirmed um, a new diesel engine for that 300 series. Um, but there's also discussion of so they've ditched so they're moving away from the the the, the V8 that's typically been seen in the in the Land Cruiser 200 series, um, but actually moving to the 3.5 liter Lexus derived um, six cylinder. Um, and also having uh, a plug-in hybrid option as well. Um, so that's going to be interesting, a, a plug-in hybrid Land Cruiser. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> it, interesting because, you, you know, plug-in hybrids, obviously, you're carrying your battery to give you some range, but those Land Cruisers go a long, long way. I'm trying to think, what are they, that's 180 right. litres is their fuel tank, something like that? Yeah, if you run an yeah, fuel tank. Yeah, yeah and you so, can run an extended tank as well, so you can get even further than that. Yeah, my father-in-law, he's just um, I he does a trip annually, um, usually around central Queensland. Up to he went up to the Cape year before last. Um, goes out to the yeah. the big red bash concert out at Birdsville. 
Uh, he was out in Winton last year and went up to the NT border. And, you know, he sort of does uh, a couple of weeks away, about 6,000 um, kilometre round trips. Um, so pretty pretty substantial ones. And they have, a, I think, their, their camper is about 2.2 tonne plus, plus mm-hmm. cargo. So these sorts of things... <laughs> You know, I think there's going to be a lot of reluctance. In fact, I know there's going to be a lot of reluctance from my father-in-law because he said he won't buy one. Um, but the, the idea of having a petrol one or, uh, um, or an electric um, type reliance on the on the drivetrain is, you know, Toyota uh, probably have the reputation for the best reliability and whether or not that's um, 100% accurate for all their products or not is kind of neither here nor there because you know it's the uh, it's the impression that the customer has, and if you have a problem with a Toyota, got 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 300 and I think 90 390 dealers across the country. So if you've got a problem with a Toyota, you mm. have a very good chance you will be able to get to a Toyota dealer to to get some help. And same when you go somewhere and um, it's a remote location. Like um, my friend who went with my father-in-law to the Cape, he had a um, a Jeep Grand Cherokee that broke down, and people were wondering why it was even there because they're just used to seeing Toyotas all the time because that's what everybody drives. <laughs> um, I think the joke was something about you know seeing one of a of a truck. Why is that Jeep not on a truck? Um, was the <laughs> was general sentiment, which is pretty harsh. But I mean, it's pretty harsh environments out there. You know, you're driving on corrugations for three 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 days straight and they are really shaking mm-hmm. cars to pieces um, which is where you have vehicles like the Land Cruiser 200 series that, that do that stuff it's it's their bread and butter they've yeah. been doing it for decades um, I think they're starting to I think there's obviously there's still there's been a lot of development for those types of power trains um, these days particularly with Toyota they've been doing hybrids for how long um, but I think there's a reluctance for for people to um, link that new type of powertrain to the old school reliability of Toyotas of the past, mm. it seems like you know there's a fragility for that type of um, that power delivery. But that V6. Well, the, the latest reports are even it's a it's a plug-in hybrid. It's not even just a traditional hybrid. So. Yeah, right. I really have to wonder, well, what's the use case for a plug-in hybrid Land Cruiser 300? Because like what you said, and, and plenty of people that, you know, people that I know who own 200 series are not just running it around in the city. They are taking it out back. They're putting a lot of kilometers at a single one time. Yep. And I think in most of the places where they're taking a 200 series, they're not going to have access to you know, they're going to be plugging in other stuff. They're not going to be plugging, you know, they're not going to have that capability or, or want to have to plug in um, their Land Cruiser at the same time. And and it probably having a hybrid drivetrain system and even a battery system is going to take away some of that flexibility um, in the, you know, the ability to modify and add extra fuel tanks or, or change the suspension or anything like that because it's going to oh, have yeah. extra weight. So I wonder, so I wonder what, who, if if it is, if they are doing a plug-in hybrid and even if they do bring it here to Australia, who is it for? Because um, I, I, yes, the, the our AFP and um, our special force, you know, our special force type yep. police as well, use Land Cruisers, um, they use 200 series. But again, I, I can't really think of, there's not many people where I go, yeah, uh, a plug-in hybrid Land Cruiser really makes sense for that for that customer that, 
that already has one or even might be looking to step up to one of those. So, I think so it's, it's a really odd choice. I think it's a precursor to what we're seeing possibly as a market for the mining industry. Um, there's that company at the moment that's currently taking Toyota products and turning them into a full electric for the mines. Um, and I can mm. see that maybe... I mean, Lang, the, 200, the 200 series hasn't traditionally been used in mines it's been more the lc70 style of car so yeah and this this is an early precursor model that we're going to see and it's going to be the ability to have for those that may be doing site visits and stuff at mines and are driving around uh, you know a fair bit that you know that that is what they might be using but i can see that potentially for the australian market or for that market is is the mining sector um you know the less fumes that you're pumping out underground and stuff like that and um trying to be more carbon neutral and things like that having that hybrid ability kind of appeals to that but um yeah i'm intrigued to see I'm watching very closely what happens. I and mean, I love the current LC200 and, and think it's one of the coolest cars ever. And it's interesting to see that they're also now talking that the Lexus version will be a twin twin turbo petrol um, mm. as well. So that's interesting to see that the, the, the Lexus version will get a slightly different um, setup. Uh, to what the the Toyota version will get, um, and having just recently spent a little bit of time in the um, in the Lexus the version, I mean, uh, well, I've spent time in the 500, but also the um, the SUV as well. Ah, uh, yep. I was going to say because that motor in the uh, in the LS 500 is um, pretty super. Oh, that yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> unbelievable that you pick pick up a car that big and throw it around so easily it's unbe- unbelievable yeah. um so much it's, comfort so, it's and so nimble power. yeah and the f sports even even better again because it's got a smaller turning circle over the standard um ls uh right. it, it you know and to think where it's come from you look at the original ls 400 uh it's it's pretty amazing just to see how much it uh, <laughs> it's changed over time yeah although i was kind of um, um, disappointed when i bought the bonnet you see under the bonnet of the LS500, it's three three different panels of plastic, of plastic, and there's not even... Yeah. Yeah, that's it, and there's nothing else to it. There's no, like, lines or anything. It's just like, don't look under here, all right? Just get back in the driver's but no, seat, but the, get back on the road. You look at it, it's like a toy you car, you know? It's just like, oh, there's really nothing for... Yeah. But from first impressions, you, you open it up right. and you see that. it it It's clean. It's it's very Lexus. It's very nice. I think the, the look of it is very polished, you know, yeah. it, it real that whole thing from from the front badge to the rear badge and everything in between, just the detail in that car is unbelievable. And just every little yep. little thing about it is just so well thought out and done. The massaging seats, the, the in the LS, the the, the reclining seats. In oh, the, the back stereo. For, yeah, the stereo, the controls in that center console, the sound like that, amazing. that that rear seat center console with the controls, the amount of detail and stuff that have gone into that, and the amount of ability that you can control from that point, is just mesmerizing. Like they have done, that car is just unbelievable. Um, you know, it's for what it for what it is. Um, yeah, it, it's it's quite interesting. Yeah, turn my kids into snobs. <laughs> gotta take gotta take them to school and they were waiting for me to open the back door I'm like no yeah you can just get out yourself all right, all right. <laughs> exactly turn off the like Simpsons and to go to school. to school in the grand Via. yeah <laughs> yeah that's right 
<laughs> nah, that'd be fun, I think. I could take like 10 kids yeah. at once. Oh, no, 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 what have we got? That's six? right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, in, in other I news, did, we've I... got the, the... Oh. No, keep going. Go, Mike. Right. What were you going to say? No, nah, so uh, oh. um, the next bit of news, we've got the, the key EU. Um, new renders have, have come out and um, potentially hint at what's to come. Now, what I can see, the, the new renders show have a pretty tough, tough take, but they actually use um, the, the artist that's used it has used a Silverado, Chevy Silverado, as the base to build it from. But mm. if, the, if the Ute is anything that it comes close to this I, I, I think um, that they would be onto a winner I reckon it's a lot bigger than what I thought it would be I would have thought that I mean depending on I think that's more obviously for the American market so it makes sense to base it on something like a Silverado but I'd love to see um, obviously like the Hyundai version that's coming out that looks a little bit small that's based off more a Santa Fe wheelbase um, you know I'd like to see something that a bit more mid-range like we've had based off our UT for the last few years but I love that front end render that is very very cool um, it's a lot of grill but it's um, it's very very nice yeah Absolutely. I think, I think, the, think um, um, I think it'd be advantageous to go for a larger SUV uh, larger ute sorry simply because I think we're seeing a slightly bigger appetite for things like the as we said the the Dodge Ram and the Silverado and if Kia was able to present a fairly well-priced, um, you know, a sub one hundred thousand dollar large Ute. Um, they could p- potentially be onto a win- winner if the towing and the um, and the tray capacity uh, match with that as well. I'm wondering if there's space in there more for. I think they were talking about having more of a lifestyle, so based off a Monaco chassis type um, mm. lifestyle Ute segment. Um, I do think there is a, a, a good spot for that as well. Like that's kind of an intermediary between the SUV space and the proper off-road four by four zins zins and the like. And you know, there's still the. It, it's kind of like we were talking about with the use case for the um, for the 200 series Land Cruisers. I mean, who uses those now that would even be interested in a plug-in hybrid? The old days, the Land Cruiser was, well, from Victoria, we used to call them the two-rack tractors. I don't know what we called them in (laughs) Queensland. Um, But basically, because they were big and luxurious, you know, they filled a certain certain slot there of like an um, um, insurmountably um, superior conveyance for your children. Um, These days, obviously, there's a lot more choices that fill that space where the Land Cruiser's dropped a favour and you can... You know, spend seventy-five grand getting a top-of-the-line Hyundai Santa Fe or, or something like that. You know, there's a a big shift from um, people wanting something truck to somebody wanting something with a lot of space that still has um, a greater level of practicality than the standard car. So in the in the Ute space too, I think there's that little bit of room where they can have a. Um, um, still a higher riding um, utility type vehicle, but it doesn't have to drive like a Hilux or like a Colorado I- IMAX Ranger, where you know those things really do like do drive like trucks. Um, but if you've got that medium yeah, there, I'd... you'll have something with a bit better safety, I think, on the road. Yeah, I think so. I think that would be the sweet spot. Um, there's still plenty of. Um, there's definitely a lot of families buying um, dual cab utes now. As yeah. the family car, um, price is certainly one option, but also just the 
the general workhorse nature as well but there's definitely it comes at the expense of car like handling um which is a big thing that i think everybody's struggled with in that that ute segment um and having a car based ute like the commodore um the commodore ute and the falcon ute that was sort of the sweet spot but it just wasn't practical because you can fit more than one you know more than one other passenger um when they were discontinued but it, what's interesting is that so looking at, um, here at the the Cars Guide article, so they they actually say that um, Kia's chief operating officer Damien Mer- Meredith um, says told us to expect a proper workhorse. So that's going to be interesting to see if they're able to give us something that is a little bit more car like, a little bit more more friendly to you know the regular car buyer or, or person who's doing that um i think it would be probably a, a it could be a missed opportunity if they just go straight for um the ute market directly um we've seen yeah. how that really hasn't worked with mercedes and the, their x class they've you know that then they've now abandoned that 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 product um there yep. won't be a, a new refresh or anything like that coming because i think it's probably they they went a little bit of the way to to create a car friendly you know a, a product that is a little bit friendlier has a nicer interior but still um because it was based on the nissan navara it still had a lot of very truck like um uh you know handling yeah, characteristics yeah. about it um but maybe this is the opportunity for hyundai and kia who are developing this together um that they can take some of the things that they've learned from you know their history and being in you know they it isn't in utes it's more in you know cars and and suvs they can bring some of those things over to to make it a bit more friendly Uh, particularly when kia and hyundai are very much um family orientated brands it would make sense to have a ute that um also fits that fits that bill yeah they've um they've done a really good job um of not stepping on each other's toes hyundai and kia um when there's a few things obviously where they've crossed over directly and been very similar in the past but it seems now they're really both getting clear niches like the i30 for example very nice car um a little bit smaller and less practical but better refined than what the serato is so obviously being the yeah. the other way you get a little bit more space for your money um, a little bit more features but not quite as nice finished or softly tuned as the as the hyundai and perhaps there's the distinction there between the kia and the hyundai when we're talking about this um ute as well maybe the hyundai will be on the uh, on the softer more family oriented side and the key will be more value focused and, and workhorse focused mm. probably not really far apart but um no yeah they sort of threw i thought i had those two brands pinned for a while there um until um, they threw the stinger out in the Kia, which sort of put them above Hyundai in some respects. <laughs> <laughs> it sort right. of blew yeah. my theory. Um, but yeah, um, they're, they're doing quite well. Both of them, obviously, uh, both, both of them top five now. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how they distinguish the the utes between the two of the brands um, and try, try, try and work out how they get a, a proper market share between it's, it's, it's branches of basically the same um, overarching motor group. I reckon they'll That's probably right. base yeah. it off one of the two bigger platforms that they have in the States, either the Tell You Ride or the 
I'm probably going to butcher this, but Palisade, mm. which is their two bigger Palisade, platform. Yeah. <laughs> Palisade, yeah, both of those, you know, they're both great-looking vehicles, and I think that it's a real shame that they don't do them in left-hand drive because uh, I'd definitely be signing up for a Telluride if I could buy one here in Oz. Um, I think that platform could probably work quite well for a ute, but again, whether it's something that can be done on a global scale to, to do left and right-hand drive, who knows, but... You know, they have the platform, so there's possibilities. So, But there's obviously a reason why uh, the guys that did the mock-up of the, you know, of the Ute based on a Silverado may think that there may be something underlying that could be coming from a partnership somewhere along the lines between um, those two companies. Who knows? Yeah, they are quite substantial. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I didn't think about that US angle either. Um, it makes a lot of sense. They do have a, a larger... Both of them have a, a larger model selection over there. And, um, yeah, they do have some larger vehicles that they can pull some of that expertise um, and, and existing platforms to something. So, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see. It's still a long way off. We're talking um, 2022 uh, for vehicles to hit the market. Um, so, obviously, there's a lot more to learn over that time and hopefully we get to see some um some more of that development T- uh, brands now like to to share a little bit more of that development cycle whether it's you know sharing early uh renders or, or sketches or anything to give a to give a hint i'm sure we'll see if um if the world's gone back to normal sometime next year we'll probably even see a concept car hit um one of the auto shows to show what you know what that d- general design language looks like you know their current design languages looks like in a in a Ute form, um, and to gauge and to shape you know the final product further from that. And hopefully we'll see some mules arrive down under somewhere as well. We know that Kia and that have tested here before, and so have Hyundai. So hopefully we might see a couple of mules make their way down and under for possible some Aussie based testing. Um, well, in that like same yeah. article, they did confirm that they will yeah be doing the local um, the, the the same. Uh, local tuning program which they do for the rest of the um, rest of the Hyundai and Kia vehicles that do come down under so at the very least we should be seeing them even if it's late in the development cycle uh, we should be seeing um, both Kia and Hyundai vehicles down here doing that local tuning for the suspension for me I think that's one of the one of the crucial ingredients both of those companies have at the moment is the local tuning because I like driving both Hyundai's and Kia's at the moment. There, um, they've really got the the mix right for each of the products. They just seem to not put a foot wrong. They're, they're very well tuned. Well, at least to how I like to drive things, anyway. Um, but yeah, definitely a crucial part of it, development is the local chin 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 tuning. It's in Victoria as well, I believe. Um, I'm trying to think, is this? Is- I'm not sure where the guys are based. Um, if it's, I'm pretty sure that it's the. It could be New South Wales. Their headquarters for both are in um, are in New South Wales and Sydney. So um, I'm not sure if they would keep the their local tuning programs in. Um, I'll find out the next where the headquarters week. are if they. Their yeah, engineering with Graham Gambold, I'm pretty sure, was always based in New yeah, South Wales. So uh, I'm pretty sure okay. that that's where they're based out of. But I'm pretty sure that they would be doing, like I said before, the, the test facilities down here, particularly um, 
down at Anglesey. I think that's probably where they might have spent some time testing, and then I know they've done some regional work in the outer areas um, in the rural. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that the guys are based out of Sydney. Cool. Well, moving on, uh, further <laughs> impacts of COVID-19 for internationals seem to be hitting. Um, we've got a couple of... Um, n- new news pieces coming through so one was um ford is shut down further of the international factories so that includes um india and south africa and thailand uh so that's going to see further constraints as the rest of the world sort of starts to to lock down or to feel the impact of covid19 um and ford uh is is further adjusting and making adjustments to those so that's going to put further um, strain on those products that came come out of there globally, and um, so for that for that for the time being, I guess it's going to be whatever has been produced and um, and shipped or currently in route uh, to each of the different markets. And same with Chevrolet. So Chevrolet have decided to end the model year production for the Corvette C8, the new model um, that was just released. Um, so they've stopped taking orders for 2020 and um, obviously as the situation for COVID-19 um, improves, that's when they'll start to look at uh, revisiting and um, picking up production, but also moving um, into the next model year early or or on time, depending on depending on how long um, the entire um, pandemic takes to uh, to improve. I wonder if that'll uh, so delay big pieces of news. Left-hand, left-hand drive. Sorry, the right-hand drive versions will be delayed and they maybe could get pushed back to later than what they originally expected because if they're not going to you know, finish building the full model year, they may have a order book that can't be filled and it may push uh, the right-hand drive production to later. It, it could be a blessing in disguise for, for GM here in Australia for those who have placed the order and whilst they're trying to work out what um, what they do with the, you know, the rumoured GM special vehicles, having the extra time could be a blessing and going well we're going to to market those early vehicles that were purchased through holden dealers and let them be the first deliveries through gm special vehicles it would be um who knows that's uh that's but that's a good point mm. um but then furthermore some some good news i guess for for everyone playing at home and wanting keeping an eye on um the the return of the ford bronco um, it seems like some specs have leaked out um, via Facebook, of all places. Um, so what, what do you make of that? So they're saying, according to the pics, it's going to be um, two different engines at launch, a 1.5-litre EcoBoost or a 2-litre uh, EcoBoost uh, with auto stop-start and an 8-speed automatic transmission. <laughs> kind of... It, it, it really is a bit of a, um, uh, I think, a bit of a kick in the face for, for people who are old Bronco fans. Not necessarily me. I did know um, somebody that owned an old Bronco, but, I mean, a 2-litre and a 1.5, it's <laughs> how about yeah. you tape them together and then do it again. Um, I mean, Broncos <laughs> were big, um, you know, two-door, basically sport versions of F-150 trucks. Um, these little uh, or CUVs as they call them in the US SUVs as we call them here um, it's <laughs> I don't know I feel sorry for the Bronco name to be honest 
um, I would have thought they'd put it on something a little bit more substantial than a uh, a little eco boost. That's not to say that it's not a fan, uh, not a decent vehicle. It might be a great vehicle, but um, I guess I have a bit of a, a hang up about using um, old badges for the wrong for the wrong products. Yeah, but in saying true. that, though, you got you got to think that they've they've sung the praises. They've already taken a version of it to Baja. There's already a racing version. We know how much Ford likes an ST product. I guarantee yeah. you that there'll be an ST version that'll probably run. You know, can you imagine if they ran the the Ford GT engine in it, the three liter EcoBoost um, twin turbo? I mean, how good would that be in something like that? So I think we'll probably see an ST version, and the, the, what we're hearing about is possibly going to be the the lower specs uh, models. You know, we know Ford likes to do mm. at least two or three sort of versions of, of each yeah. vehicle in terms of their spec levels and stuff like that. Uh, I would hope to think that there may be a you know a V6 version or something else that's a bit more of a hot vehicle, uh, something that really gives the ST name a, uh, a bit of a run for its money. Uh, but yeah, look, everyone's worried about uh, making their, as they do in the US, the cafe numbers, making that their economy numbers are good. So if they're going to yeah. sell a few of them, running a smaller engine with the EcoBoost. We know how much Ford love EcoBoost and mm. and what their, what their just, engines are like. Um, well, the think, EcoBoost has done fairly well in the Mustang and yeah. the, obviously the Ford GT. They've, a lot of people were very unsure about, um, particularly the Ford GT, about having that EcoBoost engine in there. But even the um, the Mustang, it was people, you know, the... the the EcoBoost, the four-cylinder EcoBoost outperformed the the, the six-cylinder Mustang version. Um, hmm. So there's a lot of potential in the Escape, which uses a similar um, set of engines. That makes 180 horsepower and 250 horsepower, um, respectively. So look, it's it's hmm. not huge numbers. Um, it's still fairly modest, depending on how heavy the Bronco will end up being. Um, but I guarantee you, if there isn't a V8 version or some sort of high-performance version, there is definitely going to be tuners out there and um, people, you know, with backyard uh, workshops going to be ripping out those EcoBoost engines and p- inserting the very own V8 engines for sure. Oh, the off-road yeah, attorney will go, will go to town on it. They'll love it. You know, have, right. have you driv- yeah. driven a Focus RS with that engine? It's like, you know... There's so much potential in those engines, and they've got. And if you get into the right sweet spot with them, like the Fiesta ST was, you know, they're a, they're a cracking little engine. So I'm intrigued to see what they're like once they hit. If this is what they're going with when they hit the roads and what the reviews are like, I'm intrigued to see uh, what they what they do, and then obviously what the tuners will do to them as well. Well, you think the uh, the current Escape ST, which also has the two liter um, turbo eco boost. <clears throat> is actually quite a good car um, unfortunately a little yeah. bit um, narrow in some dimensions it is getting older but they can, can really handle quite well most of the um, Ford small and medium cars anyway, anyway um, I haven't driven an Eco Sport, so I'm not going to comment on that one um, but the, the I found the Escape was quite good so this this is going to be a good car it's similar to the Eco Sport as far as the, uh, the uh, Escape sorry as far as the specs go mm. um which are quite capable cars. I just think that people that are, you know, you know, you know, holding out, waiting for a replacement for their rusted out, because most of them are rusty, old Broncos. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not going to get one. Um, 
same thing too. Oh, actually, no, that wasn't the same. I was going to say there was a lot of people waiting for a new Jackaroo when the um, Colorado 7 or Trailblazer came out too when they were yeah. hoping for a replacement and nothing was ever good by the other. So I guess Ford can make a bit of ground here capitalising on the Bronco name itself, which, which, which has got its own folklore, um, and still be able to sell a couple of units and really whatever is whatever else they were going to build and put the bronco name on was probably not going to be good enough for the traditionalist anyway so, so um i guess this is going to be a happy middle ground for them um but they'll, they'll probably they'll sell a million yeah well it's 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 the modern interpretation of what that car is i think sometimes um people get caught up that they want the exact same thing that was launched originally but I think with these iconic names, it's it's probably more appropriate. You know, it's it's brave to see it for the first time. Um, but usually, it's it's the reinterpretation of the namesake rather than the revival of it. We're going to see it with Hummer from General yeah, Motors with the electric version. Electric. Yeah, so similar type of you know intention of what they want to do but it's obviously um going to be reinterpreted with a fully electric drivetrain which is going to i'm i'm extremely keen to see that because i think oh yeah um that's that could be a great way to reintroduce hummer um because i think i think hummer kind of lost its way a bit but i don't know it was kind of a cool brand at the same time um but that's just me that was when you know growing up when the H2 and, you know, you'd see the occasional H1 around the city and you'd just lose your mind because of seeing something so <laughs> just huge. Just seeing it, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's right. And and also, you know, I, I don't have any doubts that um, when that's released, they'll have Arnold Schwarzenegger back into that, promoting it as well because it's, oh, yeah. you know, it kind of is like a full 360. He started off promoting them as the American ideal and then he went, you know, introduced all, the, um, all of the emissions controls when he was governor in California and now basically gets the boost of both worlds he gets the Hummer and the electric car um, so yeah, yeah that's right we just um, need to see um, the Horatio Kane and the team from CSI Miami driving them again because you know, they, they <laughs> made the right, H2 yeah. popular by having them as their company cars in, in that show so it's uh, it'd be good to see them driving you know someone will have to hopefully take them as, a, as an electric but um, just yeah. talking about oh, that- uh, you know engine options for the Bronco again if you look at the Edge ST in the States, that runs a 2.7-litre V6 EcoBoost, um, oh, which okay. cranks out 335 horsepower and there 380 yeah, foot-pounds of torque. It? So if they put mm. that engine alone into an ST version of the Bronco, yeah. you know, that's that's not a bad start. No, that's, that's not available yeah. in right-hand drive. I don't actually know that as a fact, but that's, <laughs> that's the excuse they'll use. Sorry we don't make it that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's exactly. another thing so, I mean, about the... That. Oh, just the, that's that's the good part about um, this. Um, if we get back to the Hummer briefly, the idea of that electric yeah. truck space that is going to be so huge in about three or four years. Like the Rivian coming online, um, Cybertruck, oh, yeah. obviously mm-hmm. Hummer. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a massive fight. I think there's a um, oh, what are they called? I can't remember off the top of my head now. Um, but there's a massive amount of development going on in that truck space at the moment. It's going to be absolutely massive. Nikola Motor Company. I don't yeah. know if you guys have heard of those. Um, no. Yeah, I've been following them a yeah. little bit as well. They're... But the great thing about those is, um, you know, EV platforms, you can make left and right-hand drive more simply. It's not it's not as complex to do 
um, conversions or changeovers. So hopefully we can see that excuse. We can't make it left hand, uh, right hand drive. Sorry. Um, now that excuse is going to become less, less frequent. Hopefully, as the EV EV stuff starts to um, be more available. Well, it's just a shame at the at the current form. Uh, by all rights, we won't be seeing anything to do with Hummer um, because there is no GM presence. So even but there is a GM it in right special drive. vehicles and electric well, Hummer could it's, be it's could not be a special yet. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll Who have knows? to just wait and see and keep yeah. bugging whoever ends up being in charge. We'll just have to set up an automated email <laughs> and um, to go. Uh, so we're getting that Hummer yet? Is it yeah. coming this week? Next week? Um, so, because I think that's probably the only way that even you know would get them to, to think about it, regardless of how easy it is um, to to build. Because I agree with you, electric cars simplifies the process so so much um, compared to um, traditional car making. So yeah, the the excuses are really running out, and I think that's why we're fairly lucky that um we we can get even tesla models fairly quickly um from you know the original launch of a vehicle because it it's it's not a huge engineering feat compared to a, a traditional internal combustion car um and that's why the lead time it's, yep. it's not one for one we, we we definitely have a delay behind um the u.s but we, we we're not waiting um you know, uh, stupidly long amounts of Years. time because they have to rent. You know, they have to do the engineering for it. Yeah. But um, but moving on. So we've spoken about that. So let's let's talk about a little bit of motorsport because uh, lots like what we touched on last episode. Tons of things have you know heaps and heaps of things have been happening, uh, particularly in supercars. So the local our local racing series. So. I'm, I'm, I'll just list them off because then we can talk about it as a whole. So, so one, they're saying that the the supercar se- season could run into 2021 because of the, the delays and um, things that we're seeing uh, events and races being pushed back further. Um, then we've got the E series for the supercars. We're having the full field of supercar drivers, so that's really exciting. So, unlike the um, the virtual Formula One races, we're seeing the entire lineup of supercars drivers. Um, involved in that e-series which is really exciting um then the last bit was that if we didn't have the COVID 19 we very may we very oh, it, was, it was very possible that we could have seen james courtney um come back in as a driver as a wild card um under erebus so yeah for a week of news that's a lot of news to come out for just one racing series yeah it's, it's a local one there's a there's a lot going on. I mean, this the the e racing bug is getting bigger and bigger. And one thing we didn't sort of cover off, and just to throw in as a quick side note, that more and more, you know, the Porsche Carrera Cup series and Porsche uh, around the world is now going into an e championship. The there's guys now looking trying to do stuff from, um, you know, the the Australian Rally Championship is trying to run a a series as well for people at home. Um, not drivers but fans uh, which is pretty cool to see mm. um, but yeah this supercar yeah. series is great there's a lot of guys getting behind it some earlier news that broke today is that um, Scotty McLaughlin will be as well as he being one of the guys behind the supercar series Scotty will also be competing in the IndyCar series which is an invitational sure. one for drivers only so Scotty was supposed to have a uh, a drive 
this year in IndyCar and, and was supposed to be getting uh, his first taste of an open wheeler on a racetrack at Indy uh, at the road course, not the the, mm-hmm. the oval. Um, but Scotty's going to run in that. But the 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 build uh, of what's happening with this and and the 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 guys that are really uh, getting behind this from a supercar's point of view is amazing there's some great um social media stuff coming out as well um there was some yep. footage of um will davidson and his wife rihanna uh clowning around <laughs> at home obviously will's waiting for his simulator to turn up and there was some great <laughs> footage of them just clowning around at home both in race suits saying you know when can i get on track waiting for the simulator to arrive um todd hazelwood uh put up a time lapse of him building his simulator and forgetting to add some certain parts and having to go back and rebuild it. Um, you know, I saw that Mark Winterbottom was selling an old old uh, simulator and waiting to, to build uh, his... waiting for his new one to arrive. Scotty McLaughlin put up some stuff of his new simulator. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk. There's It's really growing. It's going to be great to watch. We only have to wait till the start of next month for it to kick off. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think... Uh, I was talking to a friend who actually rang me during the week. He'd listened to the first episode and was hoping that we would touch on e-racing. He was keen to jump on and have a chat, but he was excited that we that we covered it and was talking about it. And he said that um, he's been watching a few of the guys doing the test stream. Um, and he uh, he said that they, you know it's interesting watching some of these guys have a bit of a go and start this rivalry already happening. Chaz Motes part. Uh, posted during the week that he had a list of things to do and one of them was to take out his ex-teammate like they had unfortunately happened on the <laughs> racetrack so there's going to be a few guys gunning for uh for each other on the track and obviously you know it's all going to be fun and games and no one's going to can get hurt just uh, a bit of virtual damage uh but yeah it's uh, it's going to be interesting we've got nothing else to to really watch from a motorsport point of view so it'll be interesting to see from a fan's point of view, what it's like. And then, really, at the end of the day, uh, who's going to be on the podium? I think it'll be some mm. big bragging rights for those that, uh, that that finish well. You know, I know they, uh, they're going to be racing the uh, virtual ZBs and Mustangs, but I really think there's some space in there for them to race a 1998 Integra Type R course <laughs> maybe a honda city or something like that uh, get a couple of them racing something a little bit different i uh, just for even a uh, celebrity support race i think it'd be pretty entertaining um obviously a lot oh, someone less did, costly there was than what someone they used to do with the f1 yeah exactly yeah <laughs> well yeah, someone did true. do a the shout mini, out the mini cooper challenge i think it used to be oh prior yeah, to that yeah, it was I mean, did that for a while commodores bmws um yeah Years ago at the Adelaide Grand Prix, I'm pretty sure they ran, you know, uh, help me out here, Mick. What were they? Uh, I don't think they, yeah, they might have been VN Adelaide, or VP Commodores. They ran they ran stock white Commodores as the, the celebrity race. So, you know, they've run everything. <laughs> they ran, um, I think they ran Salikas <laughs> one year. So, yeah, but you're right, Ash. I think it'd be cool to see someone run something a little bit different they maybe have a uh, a wild card event and and uh throw them back into some older um atcc style touring car cars you know the the sierras or the uh, gdrs or you know the mm-hmm. bms back in those days that'd be interesting to watch or even go older go back to the old uh you know x series falcons and and things like that and the old monaros uh it'd be yeah, you could have the old tyrannus falcons again hard yeah, times actually throwing uh yeah. this Skyline GTR, um, BMW E30, 
Um, you go back to some of the OG, you know, what made what made local racing, I think it really defined it anyway. Um, yeah, I can imagine someone winning in that GTR be... and just getting sworn at by everybody <laughs> online all That's at once. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you pack of bastards, it. it'd come up straight away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think supercars is a bit... Um, uh, a bit, uh, I don't know. Boring. Do they, so do they really think they're going to get the the four, fourteen round championship though? Because the 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 CEO seems to be really affirming that they're in the latest article anyway. That they're really affirming that they're going to stick to the four fourteen round championship. Do you think that's a little bit unrealistic, or you know, do you think it's pretty bold that they're going to be fitting in over that summer period, or or, or what? It just seems to be a bit odd that it's a big everybody else's. I think it's you know, in in this sort of know. time there needs well there doesn't need to be but um, everybody doesn't like nobody likes it when you aren't sure about something so some mm. some people have to say things with confidence to give people surety to just get them over the line rather than them second guessing things all the time so I don't know whether it's you know obviously he has some things. In the back of his mind, he'll know a plan he would have discussed with um, whoever's associated with whatever the solution is that he's got. Um, he knows that there is a successful plan available. Whether or not it's going to be able to be enabled based on restrictions for COVID-19 or not, he, he can't control it and he can't comment on it. So um, you've got to be able to come up with something to keep people, um, I guess, feeling like there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Even that, where there's some circumstances in it that you can't control, but I mean, we can't. Mm. I'm, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a specialist about um, the transmission of viruses or anything like that. So I can't say oh, that. So why are you we're here? Not I thought that's why, we, Joel, why, why is he here? I thought that's why we brought him in. Well, it's not my I first think, um, specialty. Been lied it's to. A bit down the line, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, I like with, you know, with that's yeah, with like, the summer break that they had, they had planned. Yeah. Well, the the current we've lost Simmons, so Simmons was due to be the next round after, unfortunately, what's happened with the, the Melbourne four hundred at the Grand Prix. Simmons Plains was mm. due to be the next, the next round, but then there was due to be a break. So, they've, it's kind of like the Formula One. They brought that summer break forward, um, and supercars have done the same. So, you know, the the schedule as it sits currently is start of June, end of June, middle of the July, end of August. So, there's a few weeks in there. I mean, the hardest thing is uh, Townsville's a street circuit, Winton's a track, Darwin's a track, Sydney's a track, the Bend's a track. So you're looking at those next five rounds, a track is probably easier to set up than a street circuit um, For sure. because there's less there's less setup. Um, there's still infrastructure, and particularly from the TV point of view, there's a lot more to set up. Um, and I don't know whether, from a TV point of view, whether they have you know, one kit that travels from event to event or they have a spare kit that then can travel ahead. Uh, but you know, if they then crush the or con- condense the the calendar, and instead of having these, you know, three to four week breaks between them, then they shorten them down to maybe every fortnight. Then they could, once the bans are lifted on on events of gatherings of more than five hundred or more than a hundred, then mm. the ability to run those events, you know, can can keep going. It, there's no reason to say that they can't push in closer to Christmas. Um, 
there are some issues with heat moving into summer, and we, we've seen that yeah. with you know the the at Adelaide being so close to start of year when they do get a heat wave, it, it is very hard on the drivers and can be quite dangerous for them in terms of just that uh, that sweat loss and, and heat exhaustion. But you know there are some abilities to tighten the calendar up. So I think they're literally in a playing game. They said they may move into the into next year if they need to. They can. Like uh, they've always said, they'd love to have a summer series. <laughs> this could be our first look yeah. at it. I'd actually <laughs> like to see them stretch. Like not. Nec- <clears throat> I'd I'd love to see the whole year still be run. Obviously, it's not going to be possible. But I don't think the solution is to compress everything week after week after week because that's. That's a pretty extreme load, not just on the support staff, but obviously on the drivers as well. They they need just some time to to recover from these races. It's um, you know it's a pretty serious on them their, their bodies to be able to um, race those supercars for for long periods of time and long tracks. You know there's um, there's a lot of physical wear and tear that they have to put up with. It's going to be a lot of work for them to even to maintain a level of nutrition without fading away to a to a shadow you know sweat like mm. as it is the cars are hot enough you've seen a few drivers getting issues with their feet being burnt from the footwells recently you know if you have something like that that's occurring at one of your races but it's not significant enough that you can um, still battle on with it and then as long as you've got two weeks rest your foot will get better and you don't have to worry about it but if you're getting minor mm. injuries that compress week after week after week you're compounding the the problem and people are going to start having pretty serious injuries i think the the physical load on drivers is could already the, significant enough yeah could the cars be modified though we know that some gt3 cars actually rather than running ballast they're actually installing Air conditioning. Um, could we see something like that, where uh, maybe the cars are modified or regulations are changed slightly um, to allow for those um, for for essentially air conditioning to be added in to the car? Because um, it's um, yeah, it's definitely something that other racing series have have done in the past, um, and I so maybe can't see why not if they're yeah. going to be running through through summer. Um, it's something they may have to look at and it's something that they may be considering now that this has come out hopefully you know this will keep the teams busy and give them something to do if they do it but the problem is is it'll need to probably be something that's mandated by supercars because so much of the cars now are you know strict setups and and things like that most of them have gone to a similar design inside with you know the way that the dash is set up and and the steering wheel controls and things like that so hopefully Mm. you know someone might be there's an opportunity for a business within that motorsport space to go and create this system um and then fit it to be able to sell it as a as a drop-in system for for the cars but you know it's something they they have to consume yeah yeah, it'll be um, it'll be a pretty horrible thing too, though, if you have to um, retire from your race because your aircon broke down. Um, well, they already run cool so suits, like so a... I don't know whether. The... Well, I think I think they've been worse. Uh, yeah, but worse retirement reasons, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but I guess I, well, what I'm saying there is that the air conditioning is a is a technical system. A cool suit is a True. is a cool suit. No, there's a box of. Um, dry ice there to provide some cool air for the for the drivers as well there's a lot less mechanical parts to fail in that so it's a lot less um mm-hmm. risk a lot more reliability they in still, a box of ice <laughs> well they still do fail though you see them every year at clipsal there's usually a problem and that the, the worst thing they can do is fail and have an issue and it ends up cooking the guys instead of cooling them so you know it is an, an issue, yeah, issue. And if we're going to have more of these 
no, we're going to have more of these races over the summer months. It's going to be something they're going to have to be, you know, really on top of to make sure for guys because it, it, it will cost you the, a, a race or a position in the, in, in, the, in the event. Yeah, for sure. So, James Courtney. Well, um, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Wow. Right? Um, yeah. You know, obviously, um, it's gonna. It, they talked about having the boost money. So, you know, that'll that'll be good. It means you can come with a car. Erebus can build a car. Um, they know we've seen them win Bathurst. So, I think uh, it would be an interesting interesting thing. He'd probably fit in quite well with the team. Um, having the boost money would make it easier as well. So, it's literally build a car, put the sponsor on, and let, let him let him go on track. But it would have been great. It would have been nice to see, and hopefully it, it, the deal can still be done at some stage during the year. Yeah, big big fan of Penrite well, Racing. Got, um, well, that's right. Well, the a, deal got came really close. The yeah Barry Ryan, who's the co-owner, said basically the deal was ninety nine point nine percent completed. It was really the day of the Grand Prix where the deal was set to be um, completed. The day the Grand Prix got shut down essentially was yeah the put everything on hold just because of obviously the um the other priorities came in at that point um so look i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised if he does come back um if they keep the you know under the new rules or under the new circumstances i'd find it hard to imagine why they couldn't um come to agreement um because i'm sure it'd be a a good draw um to, to draw people to try and watch those races that will be ra- will be happening at some point. Well, on the upside, they can be building that car right. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, it'll be interesting to see. We, um, yeah, we. I think we're not sure when we're going to be seeing our supercars come back. We've obviously got the E series mm. um, starting up soon to to bring it up, which will fill in that gap. And look, it'd be great to see James Courtney in that even. Um, <laughs> less of a need to build a car and uh, certainly cheaper to, to make it happen um, but until uh, we do get the supercar season up and running again um, we'll just have to wait and see but the final yep. bit of news that um, before we look at some questions that have come in via social media um, one last bit which I thought was very very cool um, was a this came up on roadandtrack.com, but essentially it's a Porsche 911 with a center seat conversion um, that's currently up for sale. So think of um, exactly, uh, if, if you know the McLaren F1 with the center seat set up, think of that's what somebody thought would be a good idea to do their 911. And um, turns out it was a very, <laughs> a very good thing to do. It's, a, it's perfect for um, taking to a to a track day um you've got the perfect uh, seating position and it looks amazing certainly um so it looks like the it's it was based off a 2008 997 911 carrera s um but yeah so it's uh, it's currently up for sales and um whoever did the engineering um it's all it's been fantastically done really really good job um there's some photos up We'll, we'll include it in the um We'll post the the link up on on our social media. But uh, for those just only listening right now, uh, it seems like they've chopped the driver's side um, from the center console, from the screen and the air conditioning vents all the way through to the door side and have chopped that part out and sat it directly in the middle. So you've got the the tunnel down the right-hand side 
and um, filling in the rest of the dash is actually what looks like to be a, a carbon fiber dash. Um, so it also looks great, looks slick, um, but you still have your manual gearbox and your air conditioning, everything like that, um, still coming out directly at you. So it's a pretty clever, pretty clever way to do it, um, but still remain giving you that ultimate driving spot. And you can still, and now finally for the first time ever. 911 passengers in the back actually have some legroom as an option. <laughs> yep. How many of them want to be a passenger when you're driving this thing in a full race harness around a track flat strap? I'm not sure, yeah, but I'm not sure. <laughs> that'd be uh, yeah, that'd be a lot of that'd be a lot of internal. Good ride, day car. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, what a... I'm interested to see how the um, the linkage works for the gear for the manual gearbox and how it's set up. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, well, look. By the looks of the job, I think it's been done really well. But when, yeah, certainly, uh, it will be interesting, interesting to see how the auction service. Yeah. So, reading, looking, looking at the article, I'll just read up one bit. So, one said, uh, as one of the creators explains in an interview above with the Porsche Club of America, the hardest challenges with building this car were extending the shifter cables for the relocated shifter and remounting the clutch further to the right. But thanks to lessons learned from the 14 months building the convertible prototype, this car just took seven weeks to convert. Um, wow. So, I wonder if they're going to pick up yeah. business for conversions as well. Uh, look, uh, it'd be very interesting uh, to see. Um, but it's currently it extremely it's currently well at twenty and a half grand US, and it's got four days to go on the uh, on the auction at the moment. Kind of feels like a steal at that price. I'm sure it's going to jump up a lot further. Um, yeah, with four days to go, I think at, it might go a lot more. <laughs> that's right. And featuring but even on at forty thousand yeah. Australian, that's. Uh, it's good buying so far, but I wouldn't be surprised if it gets much higher than that. Um, but yeah, who wants to hazard fantastic. a guess? Again, it would it'd be it'd be great to, to see more of yeah. it. I'd oh, look, I'd probably 60,000 US. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's where I probably think it would settle. It is fairly unique, so um, yeah, it's different. But yeah. It's a it's it's probably a pity that it's not based on um, uh, it's only based on a Carrera S and and perhaps not a GT3. I think that would probably increase the appeal a little bit yeah, more. Taking it a, a, a track focused car, yeah, mm. but it's still a ripper car. You're talking 2008 Carrera S, yeah. Um, so it's not like now where you've got so many other models sitting between the Carrera S and the GT cars. Um, in terms of power and everything like that so it's certainly for that car of the era it's certainly not a bad option um but yeah no really unique and yeah pretty cool it'd be great to drive that around a track that's for sure yeah very much so so you got some questions ash yes um so the first one i thought was pretty clever and very very relevant um so the first one was um let me just bring it up again but so, how many toilet rolls fit in the back of a Mini Cooper? <laughs> now, that's a good question. It allows me, uh, you know, it's, I have to say, Mini Coopers aren't known for having a huge amount of boot space, particularly the three door hatches. Um, 
I've got a friend who owns one and, um, you know, the large boxes of, of cornflakes, you know, the family pack yep. boxes, they don't fit. With the seats up, they it, a box of cornflakes right? does not fit. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... I'm guessing you know, maybe four six-packs? Yeah, so look, I did I did a little bit of math. So I did a little bit of math based on um, some... Now, you have to take this with a grain of salt because I've done I've worked this calculation out on a 20-pack of <laughs> double-length toilet tissue, okay? Three a 20 pack well. of double. So you're talking about... That's it, double-length 20-pack of three-ply. So you're talking about you be- thick guys, okay? You really got oh, to keep it realistic, though. That's that's like this saying a bajillion dollars. Who's got twenty <laughs> rolls of double, double, double length triple ply? Come on. Well, look, look. exactly. <laughs> this is sorry. Continue. That's problem. Okay. So, I worked out. So, okay. So, a twenty pack of those is about thirty-one liters. Now, when looking up the specs of the mini hatch, which is the three door. You're looking at a cargo capacity of 211 to 278 liters. So it depends on exactly on what it is. But let's go on the smaller one because we all know, like with guesstimations, that you're better off working with a smaller number and and being lucky that it's the bigger one um, and having some extra room. So by calculating that, it works out to be, uh, what was it, 211. So you should be able to fit comfortably though in reality, probably not, um, six packets of 23-ply double rolls into the back. Though, yeah, now, knowing the angles, yeah, and you're going to probably have to still follow the seats down. That's, that's extremely... Exactly. That's yeah. So, if let's be realistic. If you really want to get them in there, buy though. one pack and then split yeah. it up <laughs> and then stack them up individually. Kind I was of thinking like you, the, can just, you can just unroll job. them and fit a whole bunch more in. You probably get like an extra 30% <laughs> if you unroll it. That's right. Yeah. And look, the Mini Cooper's small enough you could just back it up your hallway and just park it outside the toilet and just leave the boot open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's the world's biggest yet smallest toilet paper dispenser. <laughs> so, um, and then another one. So, uh, it's something that I didn't actually think of. Um... But somebody raised, because I saw a photo online, um, and I'll just bring it up to confirm, but they actually saw something pointing out that the Model Y Tesla, the Tesla Model Y, the new SUV that's come out uh, from the American firm, that there's a peculiar, potentially a peculiar design flaw in the rear bumper tailgate. And they wanted to know, well, is this really an issue. Now, what the issue is, is that if you pull up a photo of the Tesla Model Y, the rear hatch actually comes down and and meets at the wi- at the at the at the widest part of the rear bumper. Which means that if someone was to rear end you or even just slightly back into you and and with enough force to damage your rear bumper, it's actually going to damage your real ta- tailgate as well because yep. those two points at the widest bit meet. And when looking at the photos, I haven't seen a Model Y in person, but I'm probably going to agree, and, and I'd be interested to get your guys' thoughts. Um, that's probably a potential <sighs> issue when it comes to repairs because we know that rear-end collisions are still very common. They happen all the time. Yeah. 
Um, and if someone just gives you a light tap on the bumper, the bumpers are typically made out of plastic, so they'll bounce back. You might get a scratch, but most of the time at a low speed, they'll just b- pop out and, and you won't notice anything. But the tailgates tend yep. to be made out of aluminium or steel or something like that. And that's going to be a lot less forgiving. And that's um, a big piece to replace as well and to huge. take off and fix. Yep. The entire hatch. So it's the, yeah. the it's the that entire. So it's not even just like a rear boot where you can you know disconnect that and beat it out. You've got glass. You've got lights, um, cameras, everything like that, all integrated into mm-hmm. that rear. Um, and, and if you look at you look at it from the right angle, there's actually the point where just above where the boot lid meets the bumper, it actually yeah. is the furthest part that protrudes out from the back of the car. So if you look tailgate. at it from the actual tailgate is the, and even if you're reversing, I mean, you've got reverse cameras and sensors, but still, if you hit a pole or something and, and, or something and, and misjudge where, yeah. you, where you're moving, the first thing you're going to damage is going to be that, um, is that in that tip of the tailgate. Yeah. Yep. I've, just, the yeah first, I've just found another photo as well. And if you want to yeah, quantify agree, how but... much of a mistake that's going to be, all you have to do is look at how much the insurance is going to cost you because that's, that's one of the things they'll be assessing when they come up with the um, the premium value for your insurance is things that break when you have a common accident. And that's going to be mm, one of the things yeah. that breaks. They'll have the price of that as part of the repair and that'll go into the level of risk for when you have an accident against that car and it'll be reflected in your insurance premiums. So um, mm. I know the all the motoring clubs in Australia, so NRMA, RACV, RACQ, etc., all do that um, as part of their motoring group. They do the assessment each year for their, I can't remember what it's called, the gold car awards or whatever, but they do assessments of um, the repair costs for, for minor accidents, so just standard, you know, nose-to-tail bumper um, costs. And I reckon that will probably come out this year as a pretty significant um um, black mark against the actual model itself. Yeah. As far as I understand yeah, it, Tesla sure. have got heavy, pretty heavy insurance premiums anyway. Have you guys heard much about that? Um, no, I haven't I heard anything further. I, I would have thought that, um, look, insurance companies can be pretty slow to move when it comes to adjusting things in the favor of a, of a consumer rather than, you know, the other way. Uh, yep. Because I, w- I would suspect that a Tesla should... Uh, Looking at the overall driving safety features, um, not talking about the repairability, um, should actually come out ahead or at least be better off. You should be better off owning one of these because of the amount of safety features that are built in and that should help you avoid typical accidents. But the only thing that I I hear common and there's plenty of, um, but I haven't had first person experience with it so just take that with a mm. grain of salt but i've certainly seen plenty of other evidence online um of people talking about the how hard it is to get parts for tesla vehicles um particularly if you want to like you, you can't just walk in like you would into a bmw or toyota or a nissan dealer and say hey i really just need a new such and such you know a new tail light or a new um, alloy wheel or something and you can just do glass. that yourself <laughs> yep. yeah so that that would you know they would happily sell you that as any other dealer would happily do that they would much prefer to get the work from you but they would happily sell you the part just the same but Tesla tends to be tends to want to have a little bit more control 
Um, good for overall, you know, if, if they get their fit and finish and product quality at a really high level, it makes sense to, you know, kind of like having an Apple experience where the best repair experience you're going to have is going back to the manufacturer directly um, and having that factory support. But when your only option to get parts for your Tesla vehicle is through a Tesla, is through Tesla directly, um, and you don't have any other third party or any alternative, you can't shop between different dealers, you know, for parts prices or anything like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be a, a great... Potentially, could it, it, with the Model Y hasn't been on the road enough um, for us to see further issues raised about this being, you know, a larger problem or, a t- or you know, an annoying problem to try and solve of how common people nicking the, the tailgates are. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it I, I think... When looking at the photo that I've got in front of me, there is a bit of plastic trim that pops up from the bottom, like from the rear diffuser that comes, that looks like it comes out a little bit further. Um, mm. But if anybody, you know, from my experience with people with tow bars and bull bars and poles and even pulling up to a, to, to do your tires, the little taps on the air pressure machines, they come out at just the worst spot. And I would imagine... From, from looking at how high that rear bumper is and where that tailgate is, it's going to be right in that worst spot possible um, for damaging the tailgate and not the bumper. So, yeah, that's... Yep. Um, yeah, it's, that, that'll that's be one to watch and, uh, when, yeah, I, it's when I see that. Yeah, it will be interesting be to watch and to see what uh, the comments are that come out of it down the track. Because most manufacturers are very conscious about... And, and most SUVs that you look at the, the tailgate is usually the thing that is guarded the most by plastic. It's surrounded and it's in, typically inset. Even the Model X has um, the the tailgate isn't as prominent like this. Um, it does have the bumper come out, come you know, it, it sits out a lot further than the tailgate. So um, yeah, it's a good point, and I think there is certainly um, at the moment. Um, some potential credit to this being um, an issue for a lot of owners um, as they go through general life of ownership um, where things like this do pick up nicks and bumps but yeah uh, an expensive one to fix oh yeah I've got to say um, haven't had a real good look at the uh, Model Ys it's quite a quite a good looking vehicle actually I'm not sure about having yeah. a third row in something that small, though. No. I think it's probably going to be a um, good five-seater, for sure, yeah. um, with that size and, you know, in around that Model 3. The Model 3, um, I drove, I really, really enjoyed it. The uh, rear space um, is just a touch a little bit small, but, you know, for a compact car that's, you know, it's not a compact, but a small car that size... Um, it's perfectly adequate, um, but giving a yep. little bit more height, uh, I think it's going to be quite good. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to, to wait and see. I, I really want to see one in person um, because photos tend to really throw off the proportions for me. They, um, yeah, it looks one way and looks the other. So yeah, until you really yeah. see it in, in person, it's 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 really hard to um, to know what it looks like. But looking at the photos, I like it. I think it's it, it's mm. obviously going to have traditional doors. It doesn't look like it's got the same model 
X-Doors, but um, no. I think it's nice to see, and I'd be interested to see what the price is like once it hits here as well. Mm. I think it's worth noting, too, the um, the three, just how substantial um, in finish it's gone up compared to the Model S. Um, Model S that I drove, fantastic car, unbelievable the performance. It was a, um, a P100D just for... Um, um, for a short drive, um, mm-hmm. but it just what a felt ship, that P100. oh oh yeah, unbelievable. I even uh, well yeah actually that's a long story and I can't tell you the details of, but <laughs> um, but the Not uh, the we're recording. Hey no, um, so the the difference between so the the guy that um, let me drive the um, the P100 he's got a Model Three now and it's so oh, nice. It's it's like it's going from SD to HD, you know that sort of level of quality. Just the um, it's yeah, su- right. such a finer finish. The details are so much better than what the Model S was. Mm-hmm. Even though the Model S was a, obviously a very capable car, there were some um, issues with the build quality, and you could just see the gaps weren't like a. It didn't look like a ninety five hundred hundred twenty thousand dollar car. Um, but the model, the model three is such a big step up. I'm hoping the model Y again is um, obviously as good or better than the the three, mm. despite the fact there's not a great gap between the two of them. Um, but yeah, they're going. The model three really wasn't. Improving. It's 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 certainly good. It's not perfect though. Um, there are no. still some things that need need work. But I think the things, that, the lessons that I've learned are obvious, and I think that's yeah. uh, the great thing in seeing such a young car brand is seeing that they are actually taking those lessons and um kind of highlights that the model s is getting long in tooth now um it's due for like it'd be great to see an update with everything tesla's learned over the last few you know over the past few years and apply that back to the model s um in an update you know with some minor styling updates and and maybe a screen update i think the the landscape display in the Model 3 just makes a lot more sense. It's great for all the passengers. It's great for when you're sitting and charging or um, like what I ran into when I um, was in Melbourne that the you, even um, at 10 o'clock at night, you can end up with a line of um, Tesla cars waiting to charge. <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's they need... And, and that's just a universal problem. Like we've talked about it before. Um offline about the the need for more charging infrastructure but um yep. with tesla particularly when they're in just it's there are a lot more of them in concentrated numbers um at superchargers there's not there was only one that i in in melbourne and it got busy even at that particular time you know 10 o'clock on a weeknight um but having a, a landscape screen made a lot more sense when you're playing games or you're watching Netflix or YouTube rather than having a vertical display where it's kind of like watching a, a, a movie holding your phone in, in portrait mode. It kind of, it works, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, yep. So it's it's great to see. And that screen is a step up. I hope um, it should be a better grade screen. I know that um, Model S ones had a, a few reliability of the LCD leaking and all that kind of thing, but that's just, I'd kind of chalk that up to, yeah, an early product um, that was expensive. Let's not say that, like, let's not forget that it wasn't like you're getting a discount because you're an early adopter. Um, Mm. You're definitely paying a hefty premium. But 
the lessons learned and I even loved I the day the couple of days that I had that model three they were the hottest you know it was I think it was 42 to 43 degrees um, in Melbourne and I was going around to a few different people delivering um, like little thank you bags um, for the support for getting um, our magazine off the ground and um, I had chocolate in there and I was like oh no what am I going to do but um, Lucy from Tesla showed me the how that I can actually leave the car on the air conditioning on whilst I'm away from the car yeah, so that nothing would melt and that was amazing. It obviously comes at a cost of battery range, like driving range. But for me, I was yep. like, well, I'm not really worried about that. I'm, you know, I'm not driving over 200 kilometers in one day. So that was fine. And um, watching the app on my phone, the car got down to like 11 degrees at one point inside. Yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> even That's though it was good. 42 degrees in the sun yep. in the car park. Um, and it also, it was just then amazing to then sit back in that car. <laughs> with it being oh, yeah, that nice I'd and cold. Well, there's no, um, there's no heat sink. The heat sink that heat <laughs> dissipation like you get from a <laughs> from a petrol car. Like when I used to have a WRX, it was the worst I'd ever found in any car where the heat soak would just absolutely when you run it for a while, the heat that came through mm. the firewall into the cabin was unbelievable. Electric cars don't have that problem, so no. you generally find they manage to stay cooler. Um, easier and for longer yeah. yeah so it was um it was great and i really loved that and and i'd love to have one for a little longer here in queensland when they um they have a fairly small press fleet pool so um yeah but i'd love to to try one out a little bit more um during whilst it's still warm um up here in queensland when yeah you leave it parked in a driveway and in five minutes later you're ready to you know the oven's ready you, you can put put in um uh, some cookies to cook whilst you're waiting to leave. Um, so it'd be great to see how, you know, through the app you can start to cool the car down, you know, five, ten minutes before you're ready to leave and hop into a nice and cold car. And because you don't have to, it's not like doing a remote start for other vehicles. Like I know that if you, if you're, the Holden VF had that with the remote start yep. feature. One That's great. But with, yeah, but with an electric car, you don't have to run the engine to run the compressor. Um, so that's a huge advantage as well. So you can even get that running if your car's in the garage um, and not just in an open space. So there's some really great yeah. advantages to do that. But um, but yeah, I'm really curious to see some more of the um, the the Model Y um, become available and to see that and um, see if those people that you know maybe had ordered a Model 3 but have sort of caught off on that idea, pick up a Model Y because it's just a little bit more practical but in a similar kind of space in the market because um, you're not really buying it for extra ground clearance. You're buying it for cabin space more than anything else. Um, but, yeah, so that's that. But I do you guys have... Did you have any questions for now? Um to come through or if uh if you guys don't if you want to if you're listening and you want to send a um a question through you can always send it through to our through our social media or you can actually email shows at dailyautofix.com and um we'll be able to to what keep an eye out uh for those and, and answer them in the next episode uh so again if you want to send a, a question in it's just shows s-h-o-w-s at dailyautofix.com 
But I think that's it. I think we've spoken about most things, most things that are important this week. And um, we like to, from all of us here, would love to, to thank you for uh, listening and, and your support. Uh, be sure to, to share or send through questions um, and make sure that you also subscribe. We're available across uh, all of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, you name it, we're probably there. And don't forget um, to rate and review us as well. That's right. Yes, that, that really helps. And um, we'd love to see that feedback come through as well because it's all about if there's, a, if there's something you want us to talk about, let us know um, and we can always uh, integrate that as well. And if there's something you'd like us to drive that um, you know we haven't driven for a while or something that you'd want us to review, um, let us know. Let us know what you'd like us to be driving and giving you some feedback on. Are you in the market for a particular car and like to know our thoughts? Then you know if send us a send us an email or get in touch and we can have a talk and see who's driven what recently. If not, we'll try and schedule to get behind the wheel to give you some thoughts. Exactly. Well, I think if. Um if there's anything else to add, I'd like to say uh, thanks, Joel and uh, Mick. Really appreciate it. You can follow um, Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you've got Mick McWilliams, uh, Low Flight Tech across those platforms as well. And I'm Ashley Perkins at Ashman Says, or best way to follow me is at, at Daily Autofix. But until next time, thank you guys and appreciate your time. And um, thanks to our listeners, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone.